if you die and you die with any knowledge left in your brain that you haven't shared with other people, it's just a waste of a life. People experience trauma. I would just erase that. Things happen. It is what it is. Things happen. You can boil all of this down to fear of rejection. People are okay with failing. They're just not okay with other people seeing them fail. Why turn down $50 million? I'm trying to make a billion dollars. You're right. It's not your fault. You're never going to be successful. Now what? Like some people like add years to their life, but they don't add life to their years. How often, and I want a serious answer to this question, okay? How often do you look at yourself in the mirror and you flex both biceps? How often do you do it? Speaking of the mic. In, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. a few times an hour. A few times an hour? Yeah. I think you need to increase those numbers. Might have to. We don't have a mirror here, though, so I'm going to be down for the next Here's hour. Here's You can just get up every time. Just, get some yeah. just, just like kind of lean over yeah. and just I get the, one no, I, got, I got this. I got this. Oh, beautiful. Little, little tricep See, that's, There we go. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Is your workout split, I'm guessing it's the same thing as it was last time? Haven't changed. been a decade. So can you just walk us through real quick? If I want a body like you, what is the split? <laughs> What a body like yeah, me. Give me 30 days. You know, we what should, split do we I We should yeah. preface it by saying this. How much do you charge for your time? <laughs> really? What do you, what is one, <laughs> what is one hour of your time worth? Uh, I don't know. I would probably wouldn't do anything for less than 50 grand. 50 grand. For like, just like hanging out for advice, 50 grand an hour. Okay. About right. So I mean, if this is a two hour podcast, like speaking just, is like 200, 250. Let's just say for, if someone wants sure. your advice, 50 grand an hour. If this, if this podcast is okay. two hours long. Yeah. Whoever's watching this is theoretically getting $100,000 of value just by listening to this. So I just want to preface it by saying, stick around for the episode. You're getting a lot of value from this. Wow. Now, that was fantastic. Now, back to our hook. subject. How, <laughs> how often do you go in the mirror and just flex? A What's few your times an hour. Routine? Okay. No, I mean, it. really, when there's a reflective surface, I'll definitely give it a, give it a, whatever's convenient. It might be a calf. It might be a calf flex. It could be a tricep flex. Sometimes it might be a double front. Right. I would say mostly to other people, it's one of these. I'll throw one of those up all the time. That would um, be intimidating. Like if you yeah. want to thwart off an enemy, it's just just like a bear. Just yeah. Going, yeah. 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 Now, like at the gym for sure. Like I'll, I'll flex on Layla all the time. That's good. Yeah. I want to know because I've heard from other people, people that are like larger, bigger, muscular, yeah. tall, like they, other people will feel threatened by these people. So they'll try to instigate some sort of fight because it's like an alpha mentality. You feel like you've been threatened by some massive dude. Do people come up to you and you feel like you've been, you know, instigated in something? Not really. Never. Mm -mm. So that that's just a farce. I think I don't give off a lot of like, let's fight energy. You don't think so? No. Because I mean, if it'd be, very, it'd be really hard because if someone's like, you man, I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you just don't care. They'd be like, just... they'd be like, you're a piece of shit. I'm like, probably. Like, I agree. This is where I want to be at. That <laughs> level of undeniable just confidence. Just raw <laughs> confidence, okay? And I don't and, even think it's confidence. Yeah, I was like, I it's appreciate it translated like, that way, but... I... It's just not having anything that, that bothers you. But comfort with oneself, right? Well, it's like if someone comments on a, on a post and they're like, Alex, you're an asshole. I'm like, you're right. Okay, because a lot of it's like I want to put a lot of effort into trying to like make them wrong. Like why? Like why? A, I'm not going to change their mind at all, anyways. But like the flip side is, why is that such a bad thing? Like why is that not okay? Someone's like you're an asshole. asshole. I've been an many times in my life. I'm sure. I'm sure I have. And so like they're right. Okay. It's just like there's just not like I've noticed that I've, I can end a lot of these things. Like there's no endless loop when someone's like 
you should have done this, this, and this. I'm like, you're right. So what personality traits do you think are negative? Because you're saying being an asshole necessarily is not a negative thing. Where I would say by definition, it kind of is. It could be. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all because we think that's somehow good or bad. You know what I mean? And I think it's just like, all of us have lots of different aspects to who we are. And I think at different times in our lives, we've been really impatient. We've been really patient. We've been really nice. We've been really mean. Like I've had many of those things. And then if we're really gonna say, I have a character trait, it's like, to what degree do I have that trait? Like, it's not a binary. It's not like, are you patient or not patient? It's how patient are you? Um, and so for me, it's just like a lot of people get really upset around someone calling them a name because they think that having that label ascribed to them by this one individual somehow means something. And it's like, I just don't think it means anything. I think that's because you have this security Now I could be projecting, but I would say most people, if they are insulted, if the insult is valid to some capacity sure. and picks at their insecurity, yeah. then they respond and they react and right. they deny well, and they, they put, take it personally. Exactly. Yeah. That's all it is. Right. Totally. It's having that affect them. Yeah. But I think that's just being affected by outside influence. Like for you, yeah. you're very just self-assured. It's just like your reality yeah. is your reality. If someone else tells you otherwise, it doesn't matter to you. It's Let like me, someone telling you, you have uh, blue hair and you're like, no, I don't. It, right. Well, to your point, this is, this is a really fun little side story. So mm -hmm. I was walking with Layla um, on the strip and some guy bumped into her or something. And he was like, watch yourself, skinny. Like he said that to her. And she was like, you think I'm skinny? Um, and so it's like, she said it like half jokingly to me afterwards, not anything. She just, we just obviously kept walking. Um, but I thought it was such an interesting thing is that he meant it as an insult. She chose to take it as a compliment. Which then meant that like all of the like these things that we get, you know, we toss at one another. It's like it's only because we choose to accept that it's an insult that it becomes insulting. Like I'm sure someone at some point in your life has said something that you that they intended to insult you with, and you're like, oh well, it's not that's not that bad. I'm actually kind of okay with that. It's like, well, if I'm if I can make that thing okay one time, then I can do that every time because it's literally just a choice on how I want to perceive it. So you can obscure the intentions of other people to even if it's not necessarily the way that they intended it, right? To, to I have benefit. no idea what their intention is. I have but no way it, to know Does that. it even matter? I don't right. I have no idea. I have no idea what their intention is. is. None. I don't know what their psychology is. I don't know what their affirmations are. I don't know what they say in the morning. Like, I don't know if they wanted to hurt me. I don't know if they wanted to help me. It just doesn't mm -hmm. like, all I can know is like, I can observe fact, which is they said this. Okay. Now what? Like they said these words to me. Okay. You know what, for people that aren't familiar with you, because yeah, I bet sure. there's a subset of the audience right now who's like, who is this, this guy? Is he a personal trainer? Uh, <laughs> yes. Tell yes. people why Very expensive personal trainer. Why they should listen to you. You definitely, absolutely should not listen to me. Um, as a first, first and foremost, um, got into the fitness industry. I started a gym, opened a chain of gyms, had six, sold those six locations in Southern California when I was 26 years old. Started my first gym when I was 23. Uh, took the IP from that, started doing gym turnarounds, flew around the country, did 30 something turnarounds. Um, from there, I really got the system dialed and then I started licensing it out. Um, and over the next five or six years, we got up to 5,000 locations, um, licensed our model under a company called Gym Launch. I started a supplement company called Prestige Labs, uh, which sold through that distribution base of gyms. They sold our supplements kind of specifically made for gym owners. There's a lot of benefits we made specifically for gyms. Um, and then I started a software company called Allen in 2020. That was also to work brick and mortar leads because that's one of the big issues that a lot of brick and mortar business owners do is they like they get a phone call or they get a text and no one responds. And so they just lose business for no reason. So we wanted to solve that problem too. All three of those businesses, uh, we chose to exit in uh, 2021. Um, two of them we sold together to uh, American Pacific Group for 46.2 million. 
um, in an all cash deal. Um, I sold two thirds of it, excuse me. Um, and then uh, the software company, we did an, an entirely stock sale and I sold two, uh, 75% of that company. Um, and then starting into 2022, uh, we started our family office formally. Up to that point, my wife and I had made private investments into three companies that had done really, really well. And we'd done um, well enough with that, that we said, you know, uh, we'll take all the dividends and distributions we'd taken up to that point, plus the liquidation event that we had from um, American Pacific Group. And we said, let's start our family office, which is acquisition.com. And so uh, we started with three companies. Um, and now over the last, you know, however long, um, you know, those, those that portfolio in total does over $200 million a year. Um, and I started making content on the internet with the intention to help as many people get into business as humanly possible, because I don't have a lot of faith in the larger institutions. And so I think that if we're going to solve our problems, we need to do it for ourselves. And I think entrepreneurship is one of those paths in order to do that. Don't necessarily need to be an entrepreneur, but just getting involved in businesses and private enterprise in general, I think is the most efficient way that we can allocate the resources of humanity to solve humanity's problems. Hey, Graham, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know, Jack. Well, I got you an early gift. You did? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I got oh. you a lawnmower. I don't need a lawnmower. I have turf. Well, Graham, it's not your everyday lawnmower. It's the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra Body Trimmer from Manscaped. Well, let me see that. And it's used. I used it right before I came here. Well, Graham, it's actually pretty nice for shaving down there. And it has two different blade heads. A standard one to take a little off the top and a new foil blade to go for that smooth finish. It's waterproof and it also has advanced skin-safe technology to prevent any nicks from happening. Since that can be really painful. All right, Jack, I actually really like this. And that's not all, Graham. I also got you the Crop Soother Aftershave Lotion and Crop Preserver Anti-Chafe Ball Deodorant. Oh man, Jack, you really went above and beyond for this year. Thank you. And if you think that's everything, you're mistaken because this bundle also comes with the Manscapes Boxers 2.0 Premium Under and they are so soft and the shed 2.0 toiletry bag wow this is really comfortable man this seems like really good quality and this i like this because we'd be able to travel with this so don't go around saying i never did anything for you graham so if you guys are looking for the perfect gift for a friend or family member head on over to manscape.com and use the code ich at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping once again guys that's code ich with the link down below in the description at manscape.com thank you so much manscaped and back to the episode and what do you say acquisition.com does yeah. exactly we buy companies um usually 49% or more um, of a business. And then we basically inject our expertise and capital uh, into the business to grow it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll look at, you know, we have to have a combination of, do we like this business on its own? Do we think that we are a really good unique partner that can add a huge amount of like, basically do we have an unfair advantage with this deal mm. um, in terms of value creation? Not just like that we have proprietary deal flow because that's why I, that's why I make the content I do. Um, but do we actually have a real way of like, do we, do we see a 10 X that we can like implement and execute on? Um, and so that's a lot of our kind of our front end diligence is, okay, this might be a good business, but it's not our perfect business to work on. And so we try and find those deals where it's just like, there's no way we can lose. And we try and do those yeah. deals. How do you tell if there's a 10 X? What do you look for? What sort of qualities do you see? So it's actually just looking at the business like a pipeline. So it's like, okay, you've got uh, X, X percent, like basically you have to understand everything from click to close to renewal. And so every business more or less is like you have eyeballs that at some point get converted into leads or they get converted into customers. So if it's leads then they have eventually have to get a scheduled appointment, they have to show, they have to close. And then uh, on the back end, once they are closed, they have to get a product delivered or a service delivered. And then they have to buy again and again or get upsold into other things. Right. So if we look at that, 
we can see breakages along that line because that would be something that we'd get in diligence. Just like, okay, <clears throat> what are the click-through rates on the ads? What are the CPMs on the ads? What are the conversion rates on the pages? What percentage are scheduling? What percentage are showing? What percentage are closing? What's the average offer rate? What percentage are we collecting in cash up front? What's the average close rate? Um, on the back end, like how many dropouts do we have in the first 48 hours after that? Uh, what does it look like over the next 12 months or 24 months for those customers? What percentage are ascending to the next level of service? And so if we look at that and we have our benchmarks for what we think we can do with the processes that we have already tested, then we're like, okay, well, these guys are getting 30% of their appointments to show up and we know that we can get that to 80. It's okay, well, there's a two and a half X. Okay, boom, there's one. And we're like, okay, um, I think they're mispriced on this offer and I think we can at least double this. It's like, okay, well, there's five X, you got two and a half and two. And are like, okay, and right now they're not doing anything to reduce their churn. They're at 10%, I think we can get them to three. So there's a triple. And so we're like, okay, so that's 15 X. Our, what's our confidence score in terms of like our likelihood that we'll be able to implement these changes? Is it like a super big overhaul or is it just like there's a handful of things that we can implement and immediately see that? And um, the easier it is, the more likely we want to do it. And so like I just bought um, a chain of um, teeth whitening studios. We have 32 locations we just bought. Um, and I just got so excited because I saw their sales process and I was like, I'm going to murder It's a this. very interesting business. Oh, very interesting. Um, I've seen a lot of those... Um, just this direct to consumer products though that you see mm -hmm. that you get on the subscription yeah. and they just send you yep. uh I actually I have a whole bunch from Ollie. Okay. Believe it or not, from I think that was an Alpha M product. Alpha M. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw their sales process and yeah. was like, I could make this like we literally can just change a handful of things around here, switch it from one time to membership, make these packages based on these price points, have an intake questionnaire, you know, like do some of the things that we already know work over and over and over again. And we 5X the LTV of the customer. So 5X how much people were worth to the business. And so it's like, great, well, there's a 5X. And uh, then all I have to do is just double the locations over the next five years. I got a 10X, great. And then what do you do once you do that? Is it just collecting cash or is it to eventually then sell that business? Depends on the move business. Move on to the next one. Depends okay. on the business. Um, I would say there definitely are, like I used to give it probably, like I always wanted to hold everything forever. But I think there are times where it does make where, where businesses get to a point where the next like increment of growth um, requires like an order of magnitude in terms of effort that it's not worth or we might determine you know what we're, we're good cashing out on this one like we might not be the right partners mm -hmm. or like we might not be the right owners to take it from here to there um, it also just depends on what's on the horizon if it's like you know interest rates are super low I mean I, I sold I sold literally everything I owned in 2021 because money was free and so I was like, I sold my house, I sold my cars, I sold all three of my companies, I sold everything. I was just completely cash because um, it just it just seemed ridiculous what people were willing to pay. So I was like, okay. And so if like something like that comes along that I would be consider, yeah. if someone wants to if someone wants to buy it more than I want to own it, then I'll always, right. I always entertain offers. You know, in hindsight, it seems like you made a pretty good deal by selling everything somewhat at the peak of the market. I yeah. think you I think you cashed out. The market kept going up a little December bit. December yeah. yeah, amazing time. And then I think you were in contract to buy a house, weren't yeah. you? Yeah. And then you backed out of that. Yeah. And also fantastic time. Yeah. So things have worked out pretty okay um, on on the timing of that. And I would not like, it just, so it, it wasn't like, I think I'm timing the market. It was yeah. just more like, this makes sense. Like this is a, this is a deal that I will accept. And on the flip side, when you're buying, you're like, I don't know if this is a deal I yeah. want to do. And it's just more like that. Unless you have like an absolute need, which I would say on the flip side, like if you need a house, buy a house. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, like whatever. If you need a if you need an office for your company, like buy an office because you're going to make more than trying to time the market perfectly. At least in my opinion. Yeah. So. So what are you doing now strategically? Do you think that things are going to be getting better? What What are you holding on to? Like, where do you place your importance today? Um, I focus all my stuff on the things I can control. Honestly, like I I actually spend 
a laughably small amount of time on like the economy and interest rates and things that are happening right now. Like I spend almost no time on it. Like the only time that I will think about that stuff is just to what degree will that affect our businesses? And like the only way that those things have affected our business is just that some of our businesses require financing or like use financing for, for consumer purchases. So like mm -hmm. you're buying a car, you, you know, sometimes you yep. use financing. And so the, um, the interest rates on mm -hmm. the loans that they're getting are higher, so their actual payments are higher. And so that affects sales and the average ticket that you can sell for those those businesses. But then to what degree do I control that? It's more that I'm aware of it and we do our best to mitigate those things. One thing I do want to talk about before we go into a lot of the other subjects is $100 million leads. Yeah, uh, I watched that and was blown away at yeah. that presentation. Thanks. How many people did you have watching at that time? Uh, we had 180,000 people click to go live. Yeah, and then it, you know, Buried. How much work went into that presentation? A lot. A lot. To me, this was... 200 hours. It was structured in such a way where I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, how could I use this in my own life? Because yeah. it was that incredible. Every slide and every way you framed it was like, you're getting this positive feedback loop yeah. by saying, because you're here, it worked. Yeah. And because it works, you should listen to me. Yeah. Because all these people are here, because it works. Yeah. And it was... Incredible how you pitch this. So walk us through exactly what a hundred million dollar leads is. Yeah. Um, so it's the sequel to the first book, one hundred million dollar offers, uh, which was the the purpose of that book was to answer the question, what should I sell? So like the first thing people were trying to get an entrepreneurship, they're like, what should I sell? Like I'm trying to figure out like what am I they 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 asked the question, what business should I start? But what the, the the question they really should ask is what should I be selling or who should I be selling it to? Um and so offers answered that question is what I'm gonna sell. Leads answers the second question, which I almost just gave away, which is who do I sell it to? Do you need leads? And so once you figure out what to sell, you have to go find those people and you can force people to find you through advertising. And so I split test the name, you know, six or seven different times. And so the book is about advertising, but leads beat advertising in the split test. So it's $100 million leads. Um, but it's basically how do you let other people know about your stuff? And so there are eight ways that you can let people know about stuff Four that you can do on your own Four that you need other people for. And so the book basically details step-by-step -step how to do each of the eight. And fundamentally, if you're getting into business, you only need to do one of them and do them well. And if you do more than one, then awesome. Now, I specifically have used all eight in my life um, for a variety of businesses. And for the book launch, I purposely, like the offers book, wanted it to be a meta concept, meaning the offers book was 99 cents and it came with a course and all of that. And it was it was all like basically free, right? But it was an offer so good, people feel stupid saying no. And so like the, the book itself was an example of what it taught. Leads was about getting leads and advertising. And so I wanted to demonstrate all the things in the book to advertise the book. Like, I think it's ridiculous when you, I, I, there was a book on Amazon, I think I used in the presentation, it said how to market a book. It was like four years old and had 14 reviews. I'm like, I don't need to read this book to know that you have no idea how to market a book. I have proof in front of me that you have no idea how to market a book. Because if you didn't know how to market a book, this wouldn't have 14 reviews. And so if I was gonna have a book about how to advertise, like I better be good at advertising. And so I thought that the event would be a great demonstration of that to show that these stuff, I, and I, I purposely, because I wanted, because I knew people would come back later to it, mm -hmm. I purposely used literally step by step what, like, I didn't, I didn't go outside of the book. So like the ads that I wrote for the book, I used the templates in the book to write the ads for the book. Like the content that I made for the book, I used the templates that I showed people to use on how to make content. The emails that we wrote were emails that we used from the outbound part of the book. And so just like every single part of this was using the book itself to market itself. And so, um, that was what the book was about. So like, if you want, if you have something to sell, you need people to sell it to. And in order to have people to sell it to, they've got to find out about you. In order to do that, you need to advertise. And that book teaches you how to do it. How important was social proof? Was it 
just a random coincidence you had all the people in the background because I'm looking mm-hmm. at this and I'm thinking yeah. this is so strategic to have everyone in the back yeah. versus you with just like a, a gray wall yeah. with nothing going on in the yeah. background. I wanted to, I obviously want to show that there's lots of people there and I think the live you know indicator with however many people are alive also helps for that stuff. Um, but I actually think the, the, the biggest weakness honestly of that presentation was that there wasn't enough social proof, social proof for like the stuff in the book. So most times if I'm going to like market, if I were to like start a business around this, I would probably have had a beta group, have them go through it, show their results or their changes. And then I would have used those stories and reviews and testimonials throughout the presentation. Mm-hmm. But because it was so important to me to keep this like just this Mondo secret until the day I released it, I didn't have that luxury. And so a lot of the stories that I told were actually basically borrowing from success stories from offers being like, these books work in general. And if this worked for offers, it'll work even better for leads. I kind of had to transfer it that way. Um, but yeah, there's always the implied I mean, I, and I, I tried to use, to your point, I couldn't show people yet because the book had just come out mm. that people could use the book to grow their businesses. So I had to go one degree separated from that, which is I use the book to market the book. Look. Although before we go into that, Jack and I have both managed our own small businesses. And if you've ever run your own company, I'm sure you're aware of how difficult it could be and how many challenges come up along the way that are just unexpected. There is a ton of back office work that I dread doing, like accounting, payroll, taxes, the list goes on. But our sponsor, Collective, is there to help. With Collective, you'll easily be able to set up an S-Corp, which for me personally was a massive deal. I think I started mine two or three years ago. And in the first year, I saved over $8,000 in tax. Collective is also going to help you get an EIN, business license, and business bank accounts, so that way you're all set. You're also going to get paired up with an accounting and tax team to help you set up payroll, file your business, and deliver a complete report on it every single month. All in all, Collective will take care of all of the back-end work, which everybody stresses about, and also they specialize in setting up S-Corps, which has saved their customers an average of $10,000 per year. And for a limited time, Collective is waiving their onboarding fee when you go to collective.com ICH and you let them know that ICH sent you. That is a $199 value for free when you go to collective.com ICH and tell them ICH sent you. Thank you so much, Collective. Guys, collective.com ICH. Let them know we sent you. Thank you. Back to the episode. The one thing I also noticed throughout that is that you kept putting a price yeah. on what this was worth. Yeah. You're like, this is worth $3,000 and yeah. this is worth this. And then I think at the very end, you're like, you're getting $8,000 worth yeah. of value. Yeah. And it was interesting for me to see the the immediate switch when people thought yeah. you were going to sell them something. Yeah. And for me, that, that makes me upset in yeah. a way because I'm like, here's someone providing so much value, offering nothing but free content this entire time. Oh. And you're there learning from something. And it's like, oh, gosh, now maybe you have to spend some money for something yeah. else that you're not even forcing on. Like seeing the switch up in people yeah. of going from like these avid supporters to all of a sudden just like, Alex sucks. I can't sell out. Yeah. This is horrible. I can't believe yeah. I wasted my time. But you you hung through that yeah. to the very end when you said it was free. Yeah. And then you had the book. Yeah. Um, what was that? What was going through your mind at that point? Could you read? Oh yeah, I could you could read the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are are you not internally just like? Well, I it getting, was like um, set or, it's it's like um, they they don't know everything yet. So like, I understand why some people would be upset, but they haven't like they, we have the the last chapter hasn't been written yet, so it's like leaving a book halfway through. It's like okay, well, you haven't heard the whole story, and so uh, I was I was willing to bet that. The only loss that I would have would be the people who would be who would already have made it 60 minutes in 
So I was willing to bet that the people who made it 60 minutes in were going to make it another 15 minutes. And the only loss was the people who made it 60, dipped, and then didn't make it the last 15. And that's a like, you know, from video retention yeah. stuff, like it's a tiny, tiny, and in live it's even less. It's yeah. like, it's it, the, the retention curve on that video is like flat. Mm. It actually goes up during the entirety of that uh, process. Cause everyone wants to see a train wreck. Like everyone wants to see what's gonna happen, right? So it's, it's the ultimate open loop the whole yeah. way through. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the comments, I knew that they didn't know. And if anything, it just kind of got me, um, cause I, I went into it knowing, or at least expecting that was going to happen. Um, and so I knew that it would just like be an even crazier rubber band like snap when I flipped it. Yeah, for me, it's sad to think that so many people would switch Oh up. yeah, after like, two years so, of giving value. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> two years and they get upset at yeah. something that fast without yeah. even knowing anything. Of course. What do you think that says about people that are watching in general? I would say if you were one of those people who got upset for like a brief moment, I would I would look internally. Um, because if you get upset when people sell, good luck trying to sell. But um, it's people are people. You know, I it's like they're going to be them. And I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do my best to serve the audience. And, and, and there were, and there are people who, even though I gave everything away for free, um, were like, what the hell now it's, now it's hard for us to compete. He's giving all this stuff away for free. Like there was a, there was my newsfeed was just all these people who were upset that I had given away stuff for free because it made it harder for them to sell stuff. So like, I'm there's not no like, winning. there's no way to, yeah. to, to please everyone. And so like, I kind of just went into it saying like, I will do what is right by me. And what I have said, I, I will, I will meet expectations. And like, that is what I will commit to. If I say I will do something, I will do it. And yeah. I said, I was going to do this thing and that's what I'm going to do. And the next book is, is going to be cool. And I'll have a whole new bag of tricks for that yeah. one. I'm curious. So why, uh, why do all of that for free? For yeah, those why wondering just like, why yeah. would you not try to make money? Why I would you not try to get more of something? Yeah. I saw so many Twitter threads that were analyzing how much you would have made yeah. had you charged at different price points. Yeah. I would have made about 50 million. Yeah. So yeah. why why turn down fifty million dollars? Um, because I have I'm not trying to make fifty million dollars. I'm trying to make a billion dollars, and that's me making fifty is not gonna is not really gonna make a big dent in that. And so, um, I, feel I like believe it would though. No, yeah. what is that five percent or something? Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, it's, but like substantial. I think it. So we're we're gonna we're gonna take a segue, and I think you'll you'll like it. You'll find this interesting. Cool. So I'm I'm I have my next book coming out. Um, but the book after that is the one that I'm thinking about because I've already written the next book. Um, and I, I wasn't going to write this next one, but it's the one that's been like on my mind the most, which is on branding. And I think it is one of the most misunderstood concepts. And I think it's why so few people can build big things. And I think brand is the single most valuable thing that you can build in a business because brand is basically persuasion or suggestion or influence at scale. And so if you were to go to like the etymology of brand, like where, where does branding come from? Branding comes from cattle, right? You sear a cattle with your brand on, you literally brand them. And what is the point of that? The point of that is to change someone else's behavior. So if you have two cows, one that has a brand and one doesn't, the one that doesn't have a brand, you will treat differently than the one that does have a brand. The one that does have a brand, you might return to its owner, you might steal it, you might kill it, depending on your relationship with the owner, right? Which then, depending on the brand, right? You'll, you'll behave differently. But at the end of the day, it will change your behavior. And so... The point of a brand is to actually teach a change in behavior. And so if you have a white shirt that's plain and a white shirt with a check mark, you train a behavior that you want people to do something when they see that. And then 
and behave accordingly. And so the idea of branding is basically teaching, it's pairing, it's making associations between things people know, things people don't know. And then you do that enough time, like if I wear this hat out of times, people will eventually just want to wear the hat if they like what I've associated the hat with. If they like me, like fitness, they like they like free value, they like the, the values in general that I stand for, they will start associating that. If they want to be more patient, they want to be more ambitious, they want to be more fit, want to be more you know driven, whatever it is, whatever they associate me with, they might put this hat on because it stands for that for them. They've made that association. And so they'd be willing to pay more for this hat than just a generic hat. And like that is branding. And so to the point that you may like, why not make 50 million? Um, I think that I want my brand to stand for something more than that. And so I made it the mission to make real business education accessible for everyone. And that is what I have been. I have not wavered from that since I started doing this. And I have two aspects to that. One is like the distribution of how do I get this to everybody and how to make it accessible. And that has multiple levels to it, which is one is like, is it easy to understand, but also like, is it fun and entertaining? And I'm getting better at that. I think I've, I've, I'm better at the easy to understand part. I'm still working on how do I make this more entertaining so that like a stay at home mom will actually click and maybe get interested in something like this and maybe recommend her son or her daughter to like watch something like that. I'm not there yet. Like, but that's but like in order for me to get that level of accessibility, like I need to get better. But on the flip side, the context that the content is consumed within is basically my background. So like at the very beginning, you're like, hey, just for everybody who doesn't know, here's this guy, right? If I had said, hey, I make $100,000 a year, um, listen to me. I don't, I mean, I think fewer people would listen to me. I mean, maybe some would, but like far fewer would listen to me as a quote authority on, on making money in general. Yeah. We had to provide the context up front because the context is, in my opinion, a, a larger percentage of the message than the message itself. Like Elon Musk can tweet on the toilet and say like, I'm shitting right now. And everyone will like think it's hilarious and whatever. If I tweet that or you tweet that, we probably wouldn't have the same response because we are not the richest man in the world. And so like that message is contained, is, is consumed within the context of Elon Musk. And so what I'm building with my, you know, my personal brand, right, is the context to deliver a message at scale that I want to deliver. And we're not there yet. And so this is much more of like a 10 year, 15, 20 year plan that I'm, that I'm trying to uh, outline. And, you know, I'm, I'm showing pages one at a time. Like the book launch was one piece. There's going to be another piece next year. And like people will see that as it unveils. So it's more about the perception of you rather than potentially optimizing for impact because there is an argument I feel like to be had if you were to charge some money for the book, I do think people would pay more attention and potentially it would make more of an impact on those who do read it than just giving it out universally for free. I'll give you the argument for it. So, but I do think that perception overall, people yeah. like, oh, this is the guy that gives all of this value for yeah. free. Whether or not it impacts them, who's to yeah. say? So I, I, I've been on both sides of this. I have charged lots of money for things. And so you make a greater impact giving away things for free. That's just objective, you'd say? Yes, because you get 100 times more people to consume it. And so, but the percentage of people who consume it who are impacted is smaller. So if I charge for something, a higher percentage of people who consume the thing, if they paid for it, will be likely to, to follow through with it. If it's free, 100 times, 1,000 times more people will consume it. But a smaller percentage, but a larger absolute amount of people will be impacted. I respect the objectivity on that or the objective answer because i had to because yeah, i had to deal true, with that because yeah. i had to deal with that myself i was <laughs> yeah. like well if i claim this like now if you have like for example a really in-depth like if i were if i were flying out to people's houses and trying to like do huge interventions with people and like recook their shit like no you can't do that for free but like there are certain things that you can give away for free information give away for free media in general like you can give mm -hmm. away for free software if you're really good at coding you can give away for free like there are elements there are things you can give away for free tools sometimes um and 
I think that this is from a business perspective, you you'll ultimately make more money giving serving a huge amount of people and then having some bar that people can jump over. Now, I purposely put my bar really high um, because I know that like I only need one Facebook. I don't need it. You know, I mean, like I don't need like people would be surprised by how few deals we do. Like I get 2000, I get 2400 companies a month that reach out to me to do a deal every month inbound. Like, can we do a deal with you? Mm -hmm. And in in two years, I've done 22 deals in total. So like you look at that over, you know, whatever, whatever 24, like a 50,000, 60,000 deals that I've looked at and I've done 22. It's a very small yeah. percentage. Graham, I'm sure you know, I'm sure Alex Hormozy knows, I know as well. And if you're a viewer and you run a business, I'm sure you know as well that running a business can be extremely challenging, especially if you're trying to balance all of the work across multiple different softwares. But with today's sponsor, NetSuite, all you have to do is remember three numbers. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, because 37,000 companies have switched over to NetSuite and stopped doing things like manual data entry and searching through scattered information. 25, because NetSuite has spent 25 years helping businesses drive down their costs. And 1, because NetSuite is an all-in-one solution that allows you to manage all of your KPIs or key performance indicators with one efficient system. NetSuite can help reduce the mistakes from manual data entry. And trust me, guys, there are always mistakes and prevent busy work from scaling with your business. So get a full picture of your business and help make better decisions faster. Right now, you could download NetSuite's popular KPIs checklist for free when you go to netsuite.com slash iced. Again, guys, that's netsuite.com slash iced, I-C-E-D, for NetSuite's popular KPIs checklist for free. It's no risk. It is completely free at netsuite.com slash iced. Thank you so much, NetSuite. And back to the episode. Part of me thinks, well, what's the message that you want to share that you can't already share with your platform? It seems like mm -hmm. the platform is big enough that whatever you say will have an impact. What what yeah. can you not already do right now? Oh, I can. I mean, I can. I don't think it's what I can do. I think yeah. it's who, who it will reach. So, like, I think right now, sure, I've got whatever six, seven million, whatever followers across different social medias and whatnot. But um, there, there's a different level of impact there compared to if I had seventy you know, across that. And I'm still learning this game. I'm like, I'm like super new to this. Mm -hmm. um, I came from the business side and was like, I see the value in this. Um, and part of it is because just my general worldview is like, I believe in education over everything. And I think that if you, if you, if you die and you die with any knowledge left in your brain that you haven't shared with other people, it's just a waste of a life. Like the idea that you could learn something and then share it with no one and then die. is just such a waste. It's like, why not just give it to some, like, it'd be like the guy inventing the wheel and be like, nah, I'm not sharing it. Like why? Do you have yeah. firm long-term goals on why you focus so much on branding, what you're optimizing for? Is it for the next Facebook or is it for something um, I think, different? so, I mean, I've built this brand uh, on the idea of faith, which is that like, I believe that opportunities present themselves when they're right. And I like, I, it's not like, and I'm sure with you, like there's no shortage of opportunities, the amount of things that come, come my way, but it's like, it has to be the right one. Um, and I'll know it when I see it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty patient about it because I also enjoy doing it. Like that, the only reason I can still do this because I enjoy doing it. Yeah. I also have other means of income. I think it's worth saving the context that I can deliver the message in to give away some of the short-term money to have the trust of a much larger audience later. How much did you end up making from that? I think it was like 5 million. Still impressive. Yeah, when you I you think mean, objectively. Yeah, in $30 so, yeah. bucks. <laughs> right? like, it yeah, takes a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the books probably in general right now make about a million bucks a month. Um, but like that's, it's, it's not an efficient business. You know what I mean? Like books are not a great business to get into. If, like yeah. there's cost, like you, you, there's no price control on a book. Like you can't charge $50 for a book. Like you're, you're stuck at what books go for, which is right. 29 bucks. Like that's what books go for. Right. Um, 
it's a, it's an actual physical product that you have to mail to everyone. So you've got logistics, you've got shipping. Like there's there's a lot of other like you have to print the books. Like there's a lot of costs that go into just like twenty nine bucks, and then you you make the margin on yeah. that. So on a million a month, what's your net profit on something like that? Uh three sixty, I think. It's still it seems like that's still Maybe incredible. Maybe yeah. still it's for a book. Yeah, no, I mean, don't be yeah. wrong. It's a top like there's whatever it's sixty million titles on Amazon. Like both books are top. 200 like it's point it's like not a one percent book it's like a point zero 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 one percent book yeah we were talking to mark manson recently um and he told us that i think it was like 20 30 million dollars when you really did the math reverse engineered how much one successful book made yeah net profit yeah which is incredible i mean it's why ingram you know built like owns vanderbilt (laughs) university like ingram is publishers like you literally print money well the thing that's interesting with books is that they're the oldest form of media right and so um, you print a book and if, if the book is good enough that when people read the book more than like on average, each book creates at least more than one other book buyer from like word of mouth, then it just becomes a perennial, like how think about how to make friends and influence people like seven, you know, habits of successful people, Stephen Covey, like uh rich dad, poor dad, uh, Dave Ramsey, his millionaire mm-hmm. uh, makeover, the, yeah. those ones, right? Like those books, when you sell 5 million copies of a book, it's $30. That's $150 million. And so, and now my, that might be spent over a decade, but the thing is like Stephen King still collects checks for carry, like still. And so from a leverage perspective, it's kind of interesting. Like now that I'm in the publishing business, which mm-hmm. is kind of ironic because I guess I'm a top super high percentage author, but like I don't consider myself on that way. It is a really interesting business because it requires almost almost no employees, if any. Like I, I, I employ my father-in-law. It's my only direct report. Um, and he, I was just like, just manage the book stuff just sure. in general, like the Amazon listings and the, and the warehouse and the printer, you know, making sure we order more, but like just yeah. manage all that. And so he does that, but like we could probably do it. Um, or I could take a few hours and do that. I just don't. What's the difference between putting that in a book yeah. and making like a YouTube video that's I do. 10 hours long? I do. I mean, I did that too. Yeah. So I just, I just did it in every format. So it's like, if you want a physical copy of the book, then you can pay for a physical copy of the book, but you can literally get an audio version of the book for free on my podcast and not pay for it. You can get the video version for free on my website, not even opt in for it. It's free on the site. You can watch the entire book just with a visual presentation. Cause if I'm going to try to make it accessible for everyone, then I need to make it for whatever learning format. A lot of people don't read. A lot of people only watch video. A lot of people only listen. Like everyone's very different in terms of how they consume. Yeah. And so I just wanted to make it for everyone. And the, you might find this interesting. Yeah. It's like an almost perfect split of how people consume it. So it's almost, I think it's, it's, really? it's 25% uh, hard copy, uh, 25% uh, ebook, 25% audio, and then uh, 25% like video. What do you think the biggest problem people have right now is when it comes to business? Oh, man. Just from your observation, because of 200,000 people yeah. watching it, yeah. you have to notice these 200,000 people have a problem that they're trying to solve. It's got to be some solution that you have that they want. <laughs> that I have. Um, no, honestly, I think I think a lot of it is um, is is people overthink a lot. And they, they use overthinking as a proxy for action, and it just isn't. They think that they're being productive by thinking more about the business they want to start rather than just starting it. And it's just, it's fear. I mean, you can, you can boil all of this down to fear of rejection. Like, people are okay with failing. They're just not okay with other people seeing them fail. For success, let's say a recipe for success, what percentage would you say should be thinking about action versus action? Like premeditating what yeah. you're going to do versus action. Yeah, in the beginning, you need to think a lot less and do a lot more. And the more advanced you are, the more you need to think and less you need to do. It just it just flips over time. And you just know automatically that 
Like I think it happens shifts. naturally. Like I don't think you know. Think about Warren Buffett. He makes like <clears throat> one move a year, and it's like he he spends basically the rest of the time trying to make the right decision. And so like you move the speed with which you move through business is directly proportional to the amount of leverage you have with the actions you take. And so leverage being defined as the difference between what you put in and what you get out. Like if you have a lot of leverage, then like with this podcast, we have a lot of leverage. Like there's a lot of people that will listen to this, even though we might only take us a couple hours, right, mm-hmm. to do this. So there's, we put a little bit in, but we get hundreds of thousands of people who, who will see and listen to this lot, you know, later. Um, but when you start, you don't have leverage. And so you need to make up for that with just shitloads and shitloads of effort. Um, and basically do, like you can see output as volume of, of repetitions times leverage equals output. Mm-hmm. And if you have no leverage, then you just need to crank on volume until you can create leverage. And one of the things that creates leverage is skill. So like Graham can make a video and someone else can make a video. And it might take Graham and the other person the same amount of time to make the video. And Graham's video will have a hundred times more people who see it. That's leverage. Skill created that leverage. But how did he get the skill? The volume that he did beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's no, like you can, you can work smarter, not harder, but you have to work hard in order to work smarter. So you I have to do that, that first. Yeah. So we just had on Dr. K or Healthy Gamer on the podcast. Yeah. And he's like, I I wanted to know how people start taking action in the first place. Like, like what is, and he, and he gave me a very interesting answer. I want to know what your answer is. Ooh. Like if they can't find motivation to just start taking action in the first place, mm-hmm. where do they start? If not just action. I think, I think motivation can be measured by um, its equal opposite, which is deprivation. So... You are, you want water. You're motivated to drink water to directly proportional to how thirsty you are. You are horny in the direct proportion to how long it's been. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, right? Um, and so those are physiological needs that most people kind of understand. Like hunger works the same way. Like you're really hungry if you haven't eaten a while. So you're more deprived, you're more motivated. So money is kind of interesting because you would then think, okay, well, poor people should be the most motivated, but that we can see with our eyes that that's not the case. So then like, what's different there? Is that the deprivation has to be perceived. So like you feel when you're hungry, like you have a a physiological need to to eat or you'll die. But I see more motivation among rich people to make money, which by that context would mean that they feel more deprived of money than poor people do. And I would say me personally, like I'm talking about how I want to get to a billion dollars plus, I'm extremely money motivated. And the difference between my current level of wealth and a billion dollars is greater than the person who is at $5,000 a month, who wants to make $10,000 a month, both both in relative and absolute amounts. I'm more deprived of my goal than they are. And so I'm more motivated. And so um, from a tactical perspective, if you want to change your behavior, you need to change your environment. It's the fastest way to change behavior. Like if you want, if you want to get good at swimming, you join a great swim team. It's the fastest way. Like you want to get great at ping pong, you join a great ping pong team and you play on the team, you surround yourself with other people who then you can compare yourself to and get fast feedback loops going uh, to get better. And so like, if you're like at home in your mom's basement and that environment consistently does not help you change the behavior you want, then you need to move. So then what if the person knows what's good for them to move and change their environment, yet they still don't do it? Then they won't do it. You just think that's just a... There has to be some level of something that they are deprived from. So they're they're probably comfortable. They're actually not that deprived. So like, they're like, I'm really motivated. It's like, you're not. You're not. If you don't want to be that successful, that's fine. Like, it's only like you thinking that there's a problem with it is why there's a problem. Like, you're going to die. I'm going to die. Both of us will be forgotten in a long enough period of time. So like, it doesn't really matter. I find this interesting. And so that's the game I play. If I I loved video games as much as I love business, I'd play more video games. I just love business more. 
So you're pursuing business, pursuing a billion dollars because it interests you, it amuses you. Or do you have a certain like North Star? Like we talked to Tom Bilyeu, yeah. done something with him twice, I think now. He says his North Star is increase human flourishing and decrease human suffering. Yeah. Do you have a true North that you kind of like always base all decisions off of? Or are you in pursuit of this billion dollars just because it amuses you? No, and it's, it's not. The, yeah, no. It's, I mean, billion dollars is... It's just an objective measure. And when I hit that, it'll be 10. It'll, I mean, I'll just move the, the goalpost. Mm -hmm. It's more, um, I want to die with nothing left. And so like what I would, what I would love to have be true on my tombstone, not just have it there, but what I would love to be true, or at least that people say is that like that man died with nothing left to give. And that would be a life well lived for me. And so but like, I deem that. Why do you need a billion to be able to oh, die? Oh, I just think that, that, yeah. that having that contrast will force me to be a better version of me. Like I'll have to level up. And so I want to be the, like, for me to have nothing left to give means that I've used up every ounce of my potential. And so like, do I think I can be a billionaire? Absolutely. And but, so that's what I'm going to go measure your giving in a billion dollars. No, or how does, no, I think, I mean, I think the stuff that I do with my content, my books is far, in my, in my opinion, far yeah. more impactful. Now, to be fair, a billion dollars, $5 billion, $10 billion can do a lot of good. And I, I like, if I'm thinking about this in a long term, which I try to like, if I spend 10, 20 more years building this amazing audience of people that I can help, and then I, over that same period of time, I'm able to aggregate a tremendous amount of wealth. One, it gives me credibility to the things that I'm trying to talk about, but also like there will be a merging of those two things that can create something really magical. And that's what I look forward to. And who I am today doesn't necessarily have all of the details yet. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. Like future me is pretty smart too. He'll figure it out. I want to talk about Solomon. Okay. Sure. You said this during a couple of podcasts, which yeah. is like your 85 year old self, yeah. you name them Solomon. Yeah. And that's the counselor that you yeah. use to yeah. base decision-making off of in this day. Yeah. Can you talk us through the last thing that you consulted with Solomon? And maybe if I didn't properly describe who Solomon is. Yeah. If I'll, give, I'll give some context. Okay. So Solomon was named after something called the Solomon Paradox. And for those of you who don't know who Solomon was in the Bible, he was a very wealthy uh, ruler uh, who many other kingdoms came to to seek counsel or advice. The reason it's called Solomon's Paradox is that he was amazing at giving advice, but his actual life was in shambles. So he cheated on his wife and his son was, you know, he had a bad, bad relationship with his son. And so the idea is that as humans, we are better at giving advice than we are at following it. And so that's why it's called Solomon's Paradox. And so in, in an effort to try and get better answers, the the higher up, and I'll use quotes here, that you get in business or whatever endeavor you're going after, the harder it is to find people who can actually help you out. And part of having or getting help from people is that I want someone who has aligned incentives. I want someone who um, is competent. And I want someone, there's a third piece, but it's there's three things you want. Oh, and they, I want them to have complete context. So like they have to have complete context. They have to be competent with that context to give advice and they have to be aligned. Because if someone's super competent and... Uh, and has complete context and not aligned. They just know how to ruin my life. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? If they're really aligned and they're competent, but they have no context, they might have good advice in general, but it won't be specific to me, right? If they're aligned and have uh, context, but they're incompetent, it's your mother. She got, completely understands you and she loves you, but she has no idea how to tell you how to invest. Right. And so I wanted someone who would have all three. And so in trying to think through this, I I'd had you know multiple experiences with the, you know executive coaches, counselors, therapists, whatever you want to call it. And I've, I've always had very short-lived experience with this. Those people, and I think part of my experience was that I felt like their a lot their incentive was not aligned. It was that their goal from a financial perspective was that I just continue to pay, and I was like, well, that doesn't really solve problems for me. Like, you just want me to keep staying, no matter what you say. That's how you get paid, right? The other piece was that uh, from a context perspective, I would notice that I would spend sixty minutes 
trying to, to just give color to the decision that I was trying to make or that I was faced with just so that they could give me some valuable feedback on it. And the third piece is if I'm talking to a therapist, I'm probably better at business than them. And the vast majority of the problems that I face on a daily basis have to do with business. And so like I'm asking somebody who is basically a solopreneur or self-employed on how I'm trying to manage a $200 million year portfolio and how I'm going to like allocate resources. And like, they're probably not going to have a good answer for me in terms of their competence level. And so in trying to tackle that, I came upon the Solomon paradox. So I was like, what if I could give myself advice? Because I'm sure everybody who's listening to this has given somebody advice on a relationship or on fitness or whatever. And you're like, man, if I follow that advice, I'd be in better shape too. And so I was like, well, maybe, maybe I, I have the answers and I just need to package it differently. And so I started having these sessions with what I call, you know, my 85 year old self, who I call Solomon for whatever purpose that seems to separate my personal self and my older self, because that man is the only person who has absolutely aligned incentives with me, has complete context to my situation and is as competent as I am. And I'm trusting the fact that I give better advice than I heed. And so I have basically chat forum messages with Solomon. It's an ongoing document. It's the first hour of every Monday for me. It's like, what's top of mind for me? And the nice thing is that it also can last seven minutes and sometimes it can last 45 minutes. I don't need to like stay for 60 or drive somewhere or take a Zoom call. Like if I get to the bottom of what I wanted to get to, it's done and I don't need to waste all this time giving context. And so um, I usually keep going uh, with Solomon, literally back and forth like it's chat. I just hit enter and I just keep going back and forth until I get to the root of the issue. And I usually have some sort of thing that Solomon will tell me that will kind of like close the loop. And I know it when I, when I, when I get it. And then at that point, it's like, I don't think about that thing anymore. Like the decision's made or like, I know, like I've, I've resolved the inconsistency. And so an example of that was, um, I had a, I had a, a big snafu that happened. I'd worked for a while on a project and, um, it ended up falling through because of a vendor and um, it cost me about $15 million um, of actual money. It really sucked. And so I was really upset. You know I mean? I was, I was very what, what upset. Happened? I won't go into the details, okay. um, but like I had basically think about it this way. Like I paid a, a big chunk of money for insurance uh, against uh, a $15 million loss. And the person that I had paid, that was literally their only job that I paid a good chunk of money, a fraction of that, but a good chunk of money, several hundred thousand dollars to ensure that didn't happen. And then after paying, it did happen. And I was like, this was the only job you had. This is the thing that you were, this is the only thing I hired you for, was this one thing that you said you specialized in. And like, what? You know, and so I was really upset about it. And so I'm having this conversation. It's almost, and the thing is, is the more I talk to the person, the more I realized that they were just truly incompetent. It wasn't malicious. They were just stupid. And they made the promises just because they're stupid. And so it's almost like uh, if you have a Babe Ruth Ricky card and your toddler pours paint on it, what do you do? You hit the kid? Like they don't understand. Like you just have to take it. You just get kicked in the nuts. It just is what it is. Um, and so I was going through this process with, with Solomon and um, he said, I am the asset you are building and I am satisfied with the effort you put in. And that is enough. And that was kind of it for me. It was like my, I put all this work two years into this thing, in this project. Um, and it was because of the person that I ultimately want to be, because I'm going to die. It's not going to matter anyways. Um, and so the person I'm becoming is the ultimate asset that I'm trying to build to answer the billion dollar question. Like billion is just a reflection of the asset I'm trying to build. And that's the person who I want to impress. And the, the interesting thing with Solomon is that like you, especially the higher, higher performing you are, because I'm sure you get this question a lot. Like, how do you stay motivated? Whatever, if you've achieved a certain amount, it's by not comparing yourself to other people, it's by comparing yourself to the person you want to be. 
And so the tough part about that, if you're really real about it, is that like Solomon knows if I could have tried harder. So like with a presentation for the, the leads book, I couldn't have put more effort in. I put 200 hours in over 28 days. It's basically every hour every day. I'd review the slides in the morning. I would do a live recording and then I would watch the recording afterwards and I would edit the slides in real time as I watched the recording. And I did that every day for the entire month leading up to it. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. I thought maybe there was like a teleprompter or something. I know you're kind of going based on the slides, yeah. but. Yeah. And so it was funny because like right, right before I got on stage, I'm going to loop back to Solomon. Like the lady who was the the, the one who ran the venue with the, the, the screens and whatnot was like, I've literally never seen anyone so chill about something like this. And this is like the biggest event we've ever even had here. And um, I was like, I've done this before. Like. I've done this before. Like, this isn't my first time. Like, I know this presentation. Like, there's nothing more I could have done to prepare for this. And so, like, in that instance, Solomon, in that, you know, mini setting would be like, I am proud of the effort I know you put in. Because at that time, whether the, the all the cameras cut off and, the, you know, a storm came through and everything blew up, there was nothing more I could do. And so for that, like, I try to make that man proud of me. But the tough part is, is that he knows how hard I can try. And then a lot of times... If you are a high achiever, if you compare yourself to other people, you're going to beat them anyways. And so like you can't compare yourself to them. And it's like, well, who's the one person who always knows how much more I could have tried? And that's future me. And I also think that hopefully a future me has an even higher work capacity and more focus and better skills than I do uh, to work. And so that's the man I ultimately try to impress. And um, if I'm brutally honest with myself, um, I think I think he gives me ruthless honesty um, in terms of my deficiencies and the things that I can work on. And I am good enough at giving that advice um, that I can, I can take it. So for the 15 million loss though, yeah. what was the takeaway for you? It's just like, I know you did everything you yeah. could, but then wouldn't that also say that you should have done a better job vetting well, people to make sure they're more competent? Yeah. I mean, those are the, yeah. I'm going to always do that. But I would say this, which is that when you play with bigger stakes, you, your chips were, are worth more. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're playing, you're playing a poker game and your buy-in's a million bucks, every hand you're betting 50 grand. You know what I mean? And so like, as the, as the game gets bigger, you just add zeros to the stakes. And so if you want to make a billion dollars, you have to be willing to lose a hundred million. It's just, it's just, I mean, you've lost money now, right after this, I'm sure you've lost money on things and be like, fuck, I learned from that. Given the information that I had at the time about the vendor and their experience and how they came recommended, I think that the decision that I made was reasonable. Now I could always go and hundred percent quadruple check every single thing, but at what point do I become micromanaging and then blow that blows up in my face. So it's like, uh, Ray Dalio talked about this with, um, I think crypto in the early days. Uh, but he basically said, I don't feel bad about missing out on opportunities because if I were to make the decision to pursue that opportunity, I'd have to also apply that same decision-making process to all the other opportunities that I would have bought and then lost all my money on. And so like sometimes you just get kicked in the nuts. And I think that um, like you do the best you can. There's always gonna be things that are uncontrollable and it is what it is. When is the last time you've fallen short of Solomon's standards? Every day. Every single day? Yeah, of course. Like for real. Like there's there's always things I could do better on. I could have I could have been, you know, I could have been kinder to Layla. I could have put more effort into like what I was gonna say to her this morning. Like there's always things I can do better. And it's um and yeah, I but I will say that my talks with Solomon are typically about one specific thing. So when we ask you questions, it sounds like you place a lot of value and fulfillment in who you eventually will be at some point. 100%. Right? Which is like the the guy providing the most amount of value, the billion sure. dollar guy, et cetera, Solomon. Yeah. Yes. Um Yet at the same time, you do say things like, I do not want to place my value in some sort of future event that could 
happen, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're creating a distance between who you sure. are right now and who 100%. you'd like to be. Um, how do you maintain that balance of like yeah. putting so much value in this future self, yeah. yet at the same time being fulfilled and happy yeah. in a present moment? I think it's just the process of becoming. You know what I mean? Like I like if you ask me truthfully, like I enjoyed every minute of the of the suffering of doing that presentation five, six hours every single day for the entire month leading up to that. Like I, I enjoyed it because I knew I felt like I was becoming the version of me or I was living through the values that I choose to believe matter to me. How do you find something or how does someone that's watching this find something that they can set as their true north yeah. that every single action will make them fulfilled on their way to that? I don't think you're going to figure it out on the first shot. I think I think an easier north star is um, learning to work. Learning like basically, to work. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a different example. So I had um I had a buddy who was in the fitness industry, and he had a pretty successful fitness business, and then he quit that uh, to start cookies, a cookie store. Completely, I was like, he's getting people skinny, and he's making a fat. He's like, yeah, I've got a complete system, right? He's joking, right? And um, he wasn't passionate about cookies. He was passionate about being excellent at whatever he did. And I really like that as the frame, which is like, you don't need to, like, first off, you're not going to find your passion because anything that you start doing that you haven't done before, you're going to suck at because that's what you do when you do something for the first time. And you tend to only like things that you are good at. And so sucking is a prerequisite for liking most of the time. And so you just have to be willing to suck um, in order to quote, find your passion, which all you ended up doing is creating a passion, but whatever. And so anyways, he had his, uh, his cookie store and it wasn't like he woke up every morning and be like, I just want to feed cookies to the world. Like, I just want everyone to understand how butter and chocolate and salt work well. He d- didn't think that way. He was like, I want to run an excellent business. And so whether he was doing a dry cleaning business or a tractor supply store business, or he was wholesaling real estate, it was his dedication to excellence, that single value, which then permeated everything else. And so I think that for somebody who's starting out, like simply dedicating yourself to understanding what hard work feels like and and the commitment to the repetitive actions that you have to do day in, day out without reward, like making that the W gets you there. And I think the long term is that you just make that the W period. You're not thinking about getting there. You just win every day. And you think that will serve most most people is yeah, this, absolutely. to strive for excellence in a given field. A million percent. And then creating, you said creating interesting rather than finding a passion. Yeah, no one finds passion. You I mean, some so. people do. Sure. Some, I think the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people find themselves in careers because they on like, think about like the first job you ever got. It was probably just like on a whim. Somebody told you there was mm-hmm. a thing. And then you find yourself 10 years later, like off a tree branch uh, from this, this first path of career that you got into. Right. I would disagree. Not for me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. The aquarium stuff. I wanted to do that. But you still do. You're still off a tree branch. I mean, we vlogged on this to family about your aquarium and stuff like that. I oh, like yeah. But, but I feel like I have control over that. Like that was just yeah. something I would love to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, my, my, my point here was just yeah. that um, dedicating yourselves to being excellent and doing the repetitive tasks, you get better at the thing. And then you tend to like the things when you get better at them. Like, And then external reinforcers start kicking over. Like, You just need to have enough in the beginning to get you going. And then after that, like being good at playing ping pong takes over for playing ping pong. Do you like anything you're bad at? Do I like anything I'm yeah. bad at? Um, like what are the, some of the things that you're bad at? Maybe Layla's like, oh, let's go ax throwing. And you're like, I hate <laughs> ax throwing, but I will do it. You do it and you suck, but you like yeah. it. Um, there's not many things. Really? Yeah. Well, no, what, I mean, what's something? I don't, I mean, I, something. I don't do many things that I like, to be fair, I don't do a lot of stuff. Like I literally, I, I, um, I recently picked up ping pong which is you funny. actually yeah, yeah. I, Alex, recently picked up to, I, I can coach you 
Dude, are you good? I'm disgusting at ping pong. I'm oh, very sweet. good at ping pong. Like, that's my one thing. Did you compete? Thing. No, I've never competed. Okay. Have you been to Las Vegas table tennis? No. Okay, know. it's like a club on okay. the strip. It's th- The people there are incredible. Oh, sweet. Yes. Yeah, I might I might partake. Okay. Yeah. No, I've just like, I, I, I used to play at home when I was a kid because uh, um, I didn't have siblings for a while. And so I just played against the wall for fucking hours. Every what do you like day. about ping pong? What's the um, appeal of it? Low state, baby. Uh, yeah, it's 100% that. Is it's it? Like, do you when, find a way to zone out? Oh, is that just I'm like not, that's your, like I that's your I am not point. there. You like, are while present I'm playing, in the moment. 100%. Your mind is just. There. It's like racing. If you've ever done like race cars, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like you, there's there's two like not just like rallying, but like if you're really playing, you can't focus on anything besides the ball, and so like everything else disappears. And what do you get out of that? I just enjoy that. It's like unplugging. Like that's just truly like a recreation. Like I just enjoy it. I would say the same thing is true for lifting for me. Like. When you have a huge amount of weight on your back, you're you can't think about anything else. You just have to be there. An old time lifter, Dave Tate, used to talk about. He wrote this kind of like epic blog post on it called "Going into the Void." As he said, when his father died, he um like the thing that he would look forward to most was like getting under the bar because like during those few seconds where he had like his life literally like on his back. Because if you fuck it up with a thousand pounds on your back, like you'll just break your back. He's like it was like the world went quiet, and I think that's that's what I like the most. But I lift. I now recently picked up ping pong back up again um, and I do business and that's what I do. Just since you're here and you're like such sure. a strong guy. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I'm wondering because, <laughs> I'll do my best. because I, I've been thinking about like I did get on creatine and I kind of slowed it down. I picked it back up, but I heard from somewhere that it can build muscle like 33% faster as someone who's just absolutely shredded. You probably do creatine. Like don't. Well, we don't make assumptions. Yeah. Too. I mean, I just thought everyone <laughs> yeah. was taking it to be honest. <laughs> everyone's, on this everyone's on it. Is man. it not? Yeah. You don't take creatine. No, I don't take creatine. If you eat a lot of meat, you already have a ton of creatine in it. But I, I, if you look up the data, like creatine, you should be taking five milligrams per day. And if you, sure. like you have to eat so much meat in order to get that much. So have you, have you ever seen like the midwit memes where it's like the IQ where it's like the, the yeah. dummy and then like the middle yeah. guy and then like the guy at the, the end. Chad. Yeah. yeah. At, at the very end. A lot of stuff in fitness is like that. That makes a lot of sense. So it's like pick the right parents, eat protein, uh, lift progressively heavier weight and then you're like set schemes red schemes blah, 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 and it's like pick the right parents like eat protein mm-hmm. lift more weight over time have you ever gotten your testosterone checked of course you have yeah what's actually your, recently what's your testosterone it was 124 124 yeah super what do you mean 124 i yeah, thought like, it goes uh, up to like a thousand yeah isn't 500, 300 like 300 the, to a thousand is the like yeah. recommended range i'm below the recommended range how how is that even physically possible i've always been low the highest reading i've ever had is 270 you eat lots of soy that, no. that no. makes no sense because I see that like the beard and the muscle. Don't yeah. you have to have the deep voice? No. It's like you have to have more testosterone. You can, you can be androgen sensitive. So I can be very sensitive to androgen. Some people are not sensitive at all. So it's like if you add testosterone to your system, like you, somebody will get a significantly higher response than other people. And so you have, you know, genetic potential from parents, but you also have just like how responsive you are to anabolic hormones in general. Like some of the big, because we, the Olympia just happened for bodybuilding like this last week. A lot of those guys, some of them, some of the, the genetic factors that they have are just that their body is just more responsive to anabolics than other people. And so like you can just be more androgen sensitive. So like you need less, you need less testosterone to make the same muscle. And so like those ranges are, they're arbitrary. They're completely arbitrary. Now, if you are below that, you know, 300, and I'm not going to get into science stuff. Everyone don't listen to me. So I put that as my disclaimer. But if you're, you know, below 300, but you're not suffering from low testosterone issues, like you don't have erectile dysfunction, you don't have like issues getting out of bed in the morning, you're not depressed, you're not moody, you're like, you're, you pretty much just like, you don't have like, you know, supremely low muscle mass compared to normal men. 
then you're probably just Android sensitive and it's fine. Mm. Wow. So I noticed this theme in you of like, I don't care what anything's happening. I'm controlling what I'm controlling and I'm being yeah. exactly who I want to be. Were you always like this as a kid or was this something that you have developed over time? Yeah, I think it's a skill that's developed over time. I mean, I think there's definitely like, when we talk about deprivation earlier, um, I definitely felt deprived of money. I've always wanted to make a lot of money. It's like been a very big desire of mine. Um, and I just have gotten better and better at pursuing that goal. You know, like in the beginning, I just had general motivation, but I had no skill. So it's like, I heard this works. I heard, you know, like you just, you, you go, you wander and you just have lots of activity to try and burn through things to figure out like what starts to give you some feedback and then you start moving in that direction. I've always been motivated. Um, I've always been pretty high achieving. I don't have the like, I failed school and like I was great at school. You know, I, I think I had 13 AP credits going into college. I finished college in three years, magna cum laude. I was vice president of the powerlifting team. I was president of the fraternity. Like I always try to fuck life. You know what I mean? Everyone's different. But like at the same time, there's plenty of people who didn't have any of that stuff and then crush it later. Um, but you, I think you can just always make the decision to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Like the idea that you haven't been successful for your entirety of your life has absolutely no impact on why you can't be successful right now. The, the work that needs to be done for someone to succeed remains unchanged. And so like whenever you choose to start that, you choose to start that and everything before that moment doesn't really matter. Well, I think it's easier when you have momentum behind you. For sure. Yeah. You I'm, know, I'm just saying like had, objectively, yes. if you had zero momentum and you still do the thing, it still works. My, my thought is that it might be harder if you don't have that previous success to draw from. Totally. Might hold you back in, in ways of maybe being more cautious, yeah. self-doubt, things yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, I, I use the term chunking up or chunking down, but like the you know the biggest predictor of future success is past success, regardless. And so the idea is like, okay, well, you might be like, well, I want to take this big jump, but I've never done that before. Like, how do I take this jump? How do I take this risk? Right. Well, it's like, can you generalize some of the other things you've done in the past um, that would give you some level of confidence that this is not unreasonable? And so it's like. If I've been really disciplined at school and exercise, then it might be I might it might follow that I'll be relatively disciplined with my job. Is it guaranteed? No, but I could still make a generalization that that's it's plausible. And so I think it's like stacking those wins uh, as low as a common denominator as you can. I mean, you know, for somebody who's absolutely just like sucking a life right now, then it's like if you got out of bed today, then cool, call it a W. You know what I mean? Like just regress it back, and then you start just like you'd add weight to a bar, you add weight to the goals. So is it as simple as just waking up in the morning? Great. Then it would be yeah. take a walk for 10 minutes. Sure. Great. And then just building on that. Yeah. And I think your bar always moves. Like when a toddler in the beginning begins speaking, they approximate the word mom. They're like, Muh. and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're so excited. But like, you know, a 10 year old says mom and you tell him to screw off. Yeah. Right. Like the bar moves. <laughs> yeah, I'm not right? your mom. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. I'm not your mom. Um, no, but the bar moves because like yeah. your standards for excellence continue to improve. So it's like if you're like, don't use someone else's standards, use your own. And once you can say mom really consistently, then like start saying sentences. I want to know yeah. because we talked, I think it was the first or second time you came yeah. on the podcast about trauma. Sure. Because you have very interesting takes on trauma. <laughs> okay. okay? Yeah. And recently, not to yeah. be that guy, yeah, sure. but that I guy. feel like I have gotten more similar to your beliefs with regard to trauma. Everyone goes through traumatic experiences sure. in their life. It's their response to that trauma that actually ends up making the difference. Sure. Now I saw this video. I don't know if you've seen this before, right. but it was someone holding the baby. Yeah. And then they like knock mm -hmm. on a doorway nearby or a door nearby. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hit your head. And the baby's like, and just starts crying mm -hmm. as though yeah. it's in pain. Right. Mm -hmm. And that could be a traumatic experience for that baby. Sure. And then I saw another video of a baby that took a tumble, like a yeah. pretty bad spill. Yeah. And the mom's like, oh, look, we just had a happy spill. Oh, ha, 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 this yeah. is so funny. And the baby starts laughing. Yeah. And like one actually went through something and one did not, yet yeah. the responses were completely different. Yeah. So I think 
now my opinion is mm-hmm. from these two baby you know, TikToks yeah. is that like, it really has to do with the way that other people respond to your trauma yeah. and then your perception of how you should be feeling yeah. after a specified event occurs. I agree. Which is crazy. I'll, t- I'll add one piece to what you said. Yes. Which is that you said, um, people experience trauma. I would just erase that. Things happen. Things happen. No Period. need to label good or bad. Right. Things happen to people. It's meaning that's is a, really that's, just that's what a very you hard switch, to it, though. though. Totally. That's like that's a whole yeah. different level to this. Sure. Like, was I traumatized by the the fifteen million dollar loss? No. Was it unfortunate? Yes. Did I deal with it? Yes. Okay. I'm not traumatized. I'm not like I can never make a bet again. No. Like, it is what it is. Things happen. The toddler can spill paint on your baby's cart. What do you do now? Are you traumatized? You blame your baby, like, oh, man, I've got all these issues because my well, baby. But you know what? But, but, there, but there could be. But you know what? There could be instances that happen that definitely change your entire mindset. Like, let's say you, you are driving fast on the freeway all the time, and then you get in a horrible car accident. Yeah. You could be terrified of driving, especially yeah. at that speed, for good reason. Maybe your your entire perception is 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 changed after that. Trauma is just accelerated learning. It's all it is. It's accelerated learning. And the question is just, is the behavior that I learned something that I want? Does it serve me? Mm. Now, if you were driving really fast and then you drive slower, does that serve you? Well, for getting places on time, you might have to leave a couple minutes earlier. Besides that, like, does it serve you and likely that you die in a car accident? Yeah, probably. So is that, a, is that, a, is that traumatic or is that like you just learned? I think just calling like, it trauma yeah. makes it this really heavy like, thing. Well, here's, here's maybe a better example. Yeah, sure. Uh, there is that video of a car on the freeway where all of a sudden the car is just driving along, yeah. going the speed limit, and a True. tire. At the yeah. no fault of that car, True. the tire comes out, the car flips. Yeah. I would be terrified of driving just sure. because you never realize how dangerous it is sure. until you're in an experience like that. Yeah. And then the question would be, is that the lesson that you want to learn from that? Or is it that there was a baby and he ruined your baby Ruth card? Like you were driving and something happened. It's just like, is is the adaptation, is the learning useful? If it isn't, then maybe we don't call it trauma. Maybe we call it bad luck. But trauma, to a certain degree, is a thing. Is right? it? Because, well, if you look at, you know, all available data and people that go through certain things. I don't know what then, that means. But, like, if you look at all available data. But if you're saying, like, do people have emotional disturbances? I would agree with you. I think if you tell people that they have trauma, they will absolutely be affected by whatever the thing is. I agree. I'm saying that things happen. It. So I gave the extreme example last time, but it's probably worth repeating. So you're a 14-year-old girl, and you all of a sudden have this man you don't know and he has sex with you. He's 35 years old. Traumatic. I think most people would be like, okay, that's a traumatic experience. It was also just the middle ages and you might actually be a wonderful daughter doing her duty because that's when they got married and they would be married to men who are significantly older for alliances for their family. Were they traumatized? Or was that just like actually the, they were actually being a good daughter doing their duty as a, as a daughter of their family. So, there's literally things that we can state with facts. This happened. A 35-year-old man had sex with someone that he had never seen before and that she had never seen him, and she was 14 years old. That happened. Everything else we do is the narrative we create around it. And I use that extreme example, which everyone like, you know, pulls away when I say that, but it's like you have to use the extremes to make the point. And so like if that can be both duty in one setting and horribly traumatic in another, then it means that the narrative is the thing that gives all the power. 
Well, I think it's context and our times have changed since then. Where exactly, now it's, it's the narrative. acceptable or, or now it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's acceptable. <laughs> so just, just everybody know, Graham said <laughs> that's acceptable. There you go. <laughs> back then it was not acceptable. Back, back then it was not acceptable. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm mixing these shit. No. Hold on. <laughs> but now <laughs> it's a whole different thing. Yeah, now like, it's not acceptable. Back then it was. Like, and I think... <laughs> I think I think the the context has changed in society. Sure. There's a lot of things that are different today that were normalized back then. It doesn't make it necessarily okay, but well, but it's the surrounding context. Well, that's yes. So my yeah. exact point is that if you have something bad that happens, another human in a different time period might have experienced that same thing. And so the only reason that you choose to get upset about it and then get into a hyper learning phase about something good or bad is because you were told to. It could also be in in context of what's happening around you, where if it's like if everyone else is doing it around you, if you're you now today you're the outlier, sure. whereas maybe back then you were fitting in with everyone else who's also. But that's just narrative. That. Like I'm saying, as a as a tool. So for everybody who's listening to this, yeah. If you have something bad happen, you can think I will subscribe to the traumatic experience that my counselor has told me that I have gone through, and they've labeled this thing, and then I get to have, I just get to keep this problem with me forever. Whenever I go into a new relationship, say, oh, I, I, had, I was traumatized earlier, like I have a hard time trusting people because of this reason that I'm making up right now. Okay, cool. Or something happened. Okay, moving on. Like it, it just, it just, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Like. Creating the label that you are now this way because is the problem, not the thing. Yeah. That's the problem, is the label that people ascribe to whatever circumstance. Like, um, and you can, the more you, you'll start to note it, like the more attuned to this you get, you, the more you see it all the time. People are like, I'm the type of person who, I am A, right? I'm a neat freak. Okay, so you have this label that you've ascribed to yourself. Now, does that serve you in some way? And like in the beginning of every relationship, like you're single now, you're dating, right? So girls like, you know, or you'll probably come in and be like, I'm the type of person who does this, this, and this, and I am this way. Like you just give, like here are all my labels. But like, what if you didn't do any of that? You're like, I do things. <laughs> like sometimes I do these things. Other times I don't. I mean, in a practical sense, I feel like it does. it is important to have some of those belief statements, right? Would you agree with that? If they serve you. If they serve you. So you're saying belief statements like I am somebody who likes to keep my room clean. Sure. That a, is a fine belief statement. If it serves you. If, if, it if it's a good thing. But if it's like I am lazy, I am worthless, I am unmotivated, I'm not funny, people don't like me, stuff yeah. like that. I'm not confident because yeah. my mom didn't tell me enough when I was a kid. One, eliminate the because part because you don't know that. There's a hundred other things that could happen that made you not motivated. You just pick that one out of, out of thin air. Like here's the reason. Like you don't know. So you really do not believe in psychotherapy? No. Then, because I don't, that's, I that's mean, the that's whole what premise of it, right? Well, my understanding is like you are who you are today because of these. <sighs> well, you, you do what you've been rewarded for doing in the past, and you avoid things you've been punished for in the past. That I will absolutely agree with. To the but death. don't you believe even as a child, let's say you could be shaped by your parents? So let's absolutely. just say you're told by your parents you are worthless, you can never sure. do anything. Like that's hard to break. I think as an adult. Oh, I don't disagree with the yeah. fact that they're hard to break. I'm just saying you choose to believe it. There's a choice. Could it also be that your brain is wired in such a way that the, the neural pathways all point to you being worthless and you're told that you will amount to nothing and it's so ingrained that when you become an adult, it's just like these are patterns that are really difficult to break because you've been told your entire life yeah. and you believe one thing and shattering all of that takes yeah. a lot of work. So to anyone who has that, that paradigm, 
you're right. It's not your fault. You're never going to be successful. Now what? Okay, well, maybe I can do something about it. Okay, great. You know what I mean? Like, there's like, there's no, there's like, there's no benefit. You know what I mean? Like, if someone, like, because I, I get Q&As every once in a while, and mm. someone's like, can't grow my business because of my kids, right? Like, they take up all my time. And it's just impossible for me to do the things. Uh, so what would you tell me? I say, you're right. You're never going to be successful, and it's not your fault. And then you can just watch the person just writhe. They're just like, Ugh. Well, I mean, and I'm like, what? You're going to fight me on the fact that you're going to be successful? Great. The fighter showed up. So what are, we, what are we talking about? Do you want my permission to not be successful? Or do you want to accept that you're not going to be like, what do you want? And they're like, well, okay. I was like, well, yeah, there's your answer. Like whatever reason you're giving yourself is the very reason you should do the thing. Like if your mom was mean as shit to you your entire life and she told you you were worthless, that's a great reason to be successful. There's just as many people who've had terrible upbringings yeah. who became successful. See, as people why who wouldn't you tell that person who says, I have kids, I can't be, you know, give the business the time it needs? Why wouldn't you tell that person practically, well, you're going to have to structure your day better, you're going to have to sacrifice some time with your kids, you're going to have to wake up a little earlier, it's yeah. going to suck in the beginning, you'll get used to it. Why not go in with that approach? Because I think that person's looking for permission. I think they're looking for an excuse that's reasonable that protects their ego. I don't think so. I think sometimes people just need to be told what to do. Maybe. They, they might know what the answer is, yeah. but if you tell them what the answer is, they'll do it and they'll believe it because you're the one telling them. Right? Well, this person was saying, yeah. I, I'm not going to be successful. Like in the premise right. that I was saying, this person They're is saying, I'm not going to be okay. successful. Here's my excuse. Tell me it's okay that I have this excuse. And I say, you're right. It's yeah, not yeah. your fault. You're never going to win. And then all of a sudden their whole psyche changes because they want to contrast. They want to rebel against that. And they're like, what do you mean? I mean, I, I'm totally going to like, right, cool. So you agree. So you are going to win. So what are we talking about? Right. It's like the, it's it's just this back and forth that people always rebel. Mm. Um, I just find I just find yeah. that that context interesting because a lot of times if you actually just like put a knife in and just twist and say, sure, let's take it to the natural end. You'll never win. OK, how do you feel now? Great. So then you making all of that fanfare about all these reasons why it's justified that you won't win. How does that serve you? It doesn't. So you might as well act as though it didn't matter anyways and do the stuff that is required. Just to be clear for everybody, like I share the stuff that worked for me. If, if what you're doing is working for you, then. I love you. Keep crushing it. You know what I mean? Like I, I just share this stuff because people ask, you know, I, they're like, how did you do this by this time or whatever? And I share my worldviews and they're relatively contrary. A lot of, a lot of people believe as little as I believe about anything really. Um, there are a few things that I absolutely believe through and through. And then the, everything else for the most part I feel is noise. And that has helped me a lot because um, it has gotten me out of like, you know, 99% of this, well, 99, who knows, but like a, a vast majority of the content that I see on the internet is there's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of just like, just BS, a lot of people giving advice that have never done the thing that they're trying to give advice on. Um, and so it's like when people talk about like, the, you know, energy and manifesting and, you know, psychology and affirmations and all these things, it's like, even even this the statement, like, have you heard of be, do, have? Have you heard that? It's no. like a pretty big in like the personal development safe. It's like be the certain way so you do the things to get what you want or have the thing, right? And it has to, you have to be the person first and then you can, to do the mm. things to have the thing, right? That's like a big, everyone's like, be, do, have. I think it's complete bullshit. Because being is a function of doing. If we were to say, who is this person? We would describe their identity by the things they do. Like he is a carpenter. He's into these things. He does, he takes these actions. That is what creates his identity, how we describe it. So if being is a function of doing, then we can just cut being out, right? So it's just doing and then have. But if the having comes from the doing, then... That's an after effect. That's an outcome, not the thing that created it. And so the doing creates the having. And so you can cut out the have. And so it just comes down to doing. 
And so we don't need to like obsess about like, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Am I a villain? Am I an asshole? That's the point that we're making the very beginning of this is like, maybe you are an asshole. Maybe you are a loser. You can still do the stuff to win and win anyways. If Graham identified as a loser tomorrow, like truly through his being identified as a loser and still made the same video and posted it, it would still crush. And for me, that's actually given me a lot of shelter in hard times, which is like, I don't need to be the best whatever. And I don't even need to be in a great mood. I don't need to identify as like some shiny knight hero, but I can still run these ads or make these calls or do these outreach attempts or make this partnership deal. And I will still get the end result. And to me, that is very reassuring because it puts a lot more into my control. Do you think that you would do better in that case, if you're feeling bad, if you were feeling better about yourself, that you would have a better result? If the exact same activity was done, no. Yes. If the Do same you, number of, if I send the same hundred emails to yeah. the same exact people, whether I'm in bad mood or good mood, the same response rates would come back. If you feel like you're in a really great mood, don't you feel yeah. like you could craft those emails in such a way that's maybe 1% better? And I'm talking about yeah. if we just stick to what the doing is, because then at that point it's like, sure, great, we shifted the doing. Mm -hmm. But like the doing itself can just be done. And I like that a lot because for people who are in hard times, mm -hmm. it's like you can, you don't have to feel confident to do shit you can still get the result for it. Like you don't need to be confident to go up to the girl. You can just go up to the girl and not be confident mm -hmm. and still ask her out. Basically what I'm trying to prevent against is the person who's waiting to be in a good mood to work mm -hmm. because that sometimes that good mood never comes. Yeah. But the work still needs doing. For people who are looking to get started, what do you think is the best business for people to get into right now? I think the best business for someone to start if they've never started a business before is something that they already have tangential experience with. And so usually you have parents, friends, family, first jobs that you have some industry knowledge. So if you look at like Y Combinator, for example, they look for founders who have lived with the problem or and or have industry experience. And so if you have both of those things, like the likelihood that you will be successful with the endeavor that you're going in is significantly higher because there's just a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a huge learning curve to entering any new industry. And if you can just pay down some of that ignorance tax, even if the opportunity vehicle isn't the perfect one, you will still have a significantly higher likelihood of winning. And one of the big fallacies of your first business is that it's going to be your last business and it almost never is. And so the idea is like, it's much more valuable to get started on something that you have a higher likelihood of success on so that you can get some faster rewards for the behavior of getting into business. And then from there, get some resources, get some skills, and then you can have a better perspective from which to make a jump or a decision on what to do next. And at least that's, that's how I, that's, you know, my two cents on it. Yeah. We were at the gym, Jack and I, uh, the other day. Actually, two people came up to us and they said that they love the podcast that we did together, the oh, first sweet. one. Yeah. I think that's how they found the podcast. But oh, that yeah. was their, both people separate referenced yeah. that podcast. Like, yo, when you, and one person said, when are you going to have Hormozy back on? Yeah. I said, well, coincidence. <laughs> you know, he's coming like the next week. They had a question for you that oh. I told them I would ask you. So if you ever see me in person, you want to have me ask Alex or Moses something, <laughs> you just ask. Uh, he was a W-2 employee. Okay. And he says he really likes your content and wants okay. to know your advice to people who aren't selling anything. True. But they're an employee and they want to make more money. They want to get better at what they're doing. How could they apply your advice to them? You have to figure out how your job directly ties to revenue in the business. And if you don't know, ask. Like fundamentally, like if you don't know how your job makes the business money, then ask. And then once you understand how you directly tie to money, then drive towards that. Because e like fundamentally, every position in the business makes the business more money 
if I mean, if the job is well designed, otherwise, why are you there? Right. I mean, even if you're like, I'm a frontline customer service rep, it's like, okay, well, how do you like if I had to ask that person, like, how do you make the business money? The answer is, if I do a good job, people will come back and buy again. If I do a good job, we'll have a lower percentage of people who will refund. If I do a good job, the business will be able to command higher prices off of word of mouth in the future. Like these are the things that you can explain and say like, okay, well then if those are the things that drive revenue, then I'm going to try and focus on those things. And then you can ask your boss, and this is a great question, is what would it take for me to make this? It's not saying I need to make that. It's just asking them to solve the problem. Like what would it take for me to earn that? And then they can give you an objective metric. Now your boss might, might, might not be high enough. And then you say, cool, can you ask the person above you? And um, by doing it that way, you're also being clear, like, I want to make the business more money. What would it take for, and, and, and in doing so, I would like a small percentage of the increase that I'm able to bring. Like, what would it take? And I think that's a, a great way to have that conversation. Layla, my wife, also makes tons of content for, like, how to ask for raises, how to negotiate that stuff on her channel as a side note. When yeah. She's more knowledgeable than I am. But. I do think, though, a lot of careers out there will never give you that opportunity. You say, I want to, you know, make more money or I want to do more, they're going to say, ah, you get back, get, get back to your desk. Just focus, you just focus yeah. on that. Yeah. And there aren't really those opportunities out there. In those situations, would you recommend looking for work elsewhere? I think I think um, small businesses are a good opportunity for that stuff. So if you're like in a massive corporation, yeah. um, you can quickly cap out and get like lost in the shuffle if it's this massive org. And so I think it makes sense to go get uh, basically a stamp of approval from maybe a name brand company that you can then leverage into a smaller business that you'll have a lot more impact, a lot more opportunity for growth. Most entrepreneurs are far more receptive to anyone who says, I will help you make more money. Uh, and so um, again, if you can change your environment, you'll often be able to change your behavior. Um, by the way, I meant to ask this earlier. I noticed uh, we had a bit of a problem actually. It was on Instagram. Yeah. And I noticed you're not following me back on Instagram. Oh shit. Yeah. Uh oh. So, so following a lot he's of labeling people. this yeah. as, as a, something as that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you have Terri to say about it's, that? I think it's terrible. I only follow comedy and philosophy accounts for the most part. Comedy and philosophy accounts? Yeah. The only two truth tellers. And what do you people. what do you get from those accounts by I watching? It. I enjoy yeah? it. Yeah. Okay. Both give me context on life. Some make me laugh, some make me think. And some who are your who are your favorite comedians? Oh man. I have so many. I, I mean I follow a lot of comedians. Like I ba I basically follow any comedian I see on my newsfeed who makes comedy regularly. Like if I click over their page and they've got like one comedy video and a bunch of like not videos, then I, I won't follow them. But if they make regular comedy clips, I will almost guaranteed follow them no matter how big they are. I like Andrew Schultz, yeah. Whitney Cummings, uh, Sam Morrill, uh, Mark Normand. I like uh, Nimanaz. Matt Reif has obviously been Matt blowing Reif up. Matt Reif is amazing. Yeah, he's, he's great. Um, I just, I mean, honest, there's so many. Uh, Bill Burr, uh, Nate Bar Bargatze. Um, there's so many, I'm just like naming names off the top. I like, I like, I like a lot of, com I mean, if it's comedy, I like it. Yeah. Do you like, um, Norm Macdonald's comedy? Yeah. I love yeah. Norm I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a cheap date when it comes to comedy. Yeah. Like basically the only thing I don't like is like lazy comedy. Just like, uh, like, uh, crude comedy for the sake of being crude. Like that stuff. I'm not like, I don't think it's like Theo Vaughn. That's great. Yeah. Great example. Not, not of that. He's also another great comedian. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's like, that's, I, yeah, I love, I really like comedy a lot. And do you like live yeah. shows or yeah. do you, do you listen to comedy podcasts ever? Uh, I don't listen to comedy podcasts. I watch their routines and I go to shows and I watch their clips. Yeah. The comedy podcasts are hilarious. I, I think, think the podcasts really, are 20 yes. times better than live shows. Oh, and Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer. Yeah. Like, yes, I mean, there's yes, a ton yes, of this. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I think big J. O. Christian's small, but I actually really love his stuff. Um, there's so many. Yeah. yeah.
I prefer the podcast. I prefer yeah. the yeah. podcast. Interesting. Well. Good to know. I don't I actually just don't listen to podcasts in general. I'm not a podcaster. I think like yeah. the, the candid comedy in a podcast oh, yeah. is 10 times better than rehearsed Super comedy. contextual. Yeah. 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 Cause they have to like, the bit has to be funny every time in every single place yeah. with a cold audience. But like, if you're warmed up with like things that got said earlier and it's like relevant to the moment, like they can absolutely be, you know, hilarious. Uh, but no, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't listen to podcasts. Ever. I listen to Elon Musk every time he goes on Joe Rogan. Okay. But I watched it really. I watched So it. what sort of media do you consume? Twitter or X. Yeah. Whatever. I can, that's, that's my most active platform. That's the one that I'm on like by far the most. Is it you that tweets? Yeah. yeah. It's me on every tweet. That's you everything. Everything's me. I manage everything. And what philosophy con uh, content do you like to consume? Are there certain people that are practicing? All the ancients. Philosophy? So it's the ancients. Anybody stuff. who's dead. If you're dead, I like you. That's the way that you get validity yeah. for. Well, Alex. I mean. I, I mean, the, you know, Epictetus, Seneca, like some of the Stoics. I, I mean, I, I like those guys. Um, and you've some of the darker, you've got Dostoevsky and some of the, some of the other dudes. If they're dead, though, how do they post? That's Grant, a good question. What? I think it's like excerpts from. I was trying the, to yeah. make a joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 right. This is stupid. Fair enough. Good. Good, Graham. Let's try. Yeah. You should be a comedian. Maybe he'll follow you then. Yeah. Yeah. Classic shrewd. Classic shrewd. You know, just. <laughs> Don't, don't call me Shroot, man. It's white. For, for context, guys, I got this haircut this morning, and uh, Graham said I look like Dwight Shroot. Off the rip. Yeah. Off the rip. He didn't even say, like, nice haircut. It's like, yeah. you know, it's not like Dude, a we have compliment sandwich. It was just like a St straight for Shroot. Do we have any glasses? I am not putting on glasses. Dude, it would actually I, be. Dude, if you, had a, if you had a tie on and like a slightly grayish brown suit. You'd slay it. Oh, thank you. You'd think I just walk yeah. around on the strip. I just get approached by women. People would, well, people yeah. would be trying to take pictures with you. They'd be like, oh my God. I, I just can't really don't think I look like Dwight Truth that much. But, <laughs> but maybe I could be, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe I should put throw on a hat or something, I guess. I think you should change your Tinder profile. To this? Like put the suit on, put the glasses on and just say Here's like. Here's the thing. If you, you know. own it, it's yeah. attractive. And I learned this from you. You said that one time <laughs> you were in the car with some frat brother yeah. and the frat yeah. brother was like making out with some girl in the yep. back of the car. And he was like, what was it? Chewing tobacco yep. or something at the same yep. time. And you're like, dude, how is she not disgusted by you right now? And he was yeah. just like, cause I don't care. Which for me, like I still think about that to this yeah, day. You could be owning the wrong thing. Well, I don't, I, actually, I, yeah. I will counter the fact. I, I okay. think you can own whatever you want. I, 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 think I think you, you can, can own whatever I you think want. There's some some things that shouldn't be worth owning. I think it's the confidence. Well, sure, if you're a serial killer. Okay, sorry, so, mute that part. But yeah, like, if you do that, then then chances are you're probably not going to be able to get a. Like, imagine girl. You owning being an incel. You know, like I'm I'm owning it. Like sure. that's not probably would be an incel if you owned it. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, yeah. it, it, so I think Coco Chanel said, uh, <clears throat> uh, "Fashion is whatever you can get away with." And I kind of just like that as a, anyways, as, as one of the you know most fashionable women of all time, like icons, I feel like she has a good perspective right. on like what fashion is and it's just whatever you can get away with. And I like that. That's a good point. It's I feel like a modern fashion, you look at it and you're like, this person looks like an animal. They don't even look like human at that point. <laughs> oh, the like runway shows. I don't get you know what, what, I mean? what the point yeah. of these runway shows is at all. It's actually like a money the, thing. Uh, so the, I only know this because my wife buys lots of expensive things. Um, so those runways, so most, many of the outfits there are made to look high fashion. And then the people who are in attendance there, it's like a, a huge honor to be like invited by like Stella McCartney or Coco Chanel or whoever to, or Gucci to attend the runway show. Like it's a, like usually you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to get invited to one of those shows. And it's usually like 20. On their clothing? Yeah, it's like 20 people a year get invited, hand selected across the whole nation to get mm -hmm. invited as like consumers. And then while you're there, 
they'll parade these you know people around and then you're somewhat expected to bid on the actual outfits themselves yeah, and the so, outfits are so atrocious i mean well, they're they're like, like, who's ever gonna buy that and wear. actually wear that out to like walmart like, you know, no one would gonna, you would never wear be, these things you'd be amazed you'd be amazed and sometimes it's not the whole outfit sometimes it's a piece of it or it's a hat or, or, or a blouse or whatever um but like it'll be like there'll be like fifty thousand hundred thousand dollar dresses but to me it seems like the ugliest clothing that they could yeah. get away with i th to me it seems like a social experiment like how wild social experiment can we you make guys are this being there's a camera there there's a camera yeah. there. i'm waiting for the joke to come like 20 years yeah. later because I've seen some of these things with like shoes with a like goldfish in them. Like it's, yeah. it's stupid. Oh, stuff. there's like these necklaces, pendant things with a uh. turtle inside of it. It's so a sad. live turtle. Yeah. Like, like a baby turtle. Are you serious? I've seen that before. It's very sad. How is, but it's just, but in, in a, so it's what a just ride a weird for the turtle, outfit. Right? Well, for like 24 hours, maybe. I mean, right? think about the yeah. life it gets to lead. I mean, the comparison is just like, it's True. just floating around water all day here. It like gets to travel the world. It gets to like hang out. With I bet people. if you ask the turtle, it'd probably say it preferred that too. Right. I, I, I saw this video and it was someone who did a social experiment where they created like this new hip store where oh. they got like, I think it was like H&M and like Payless. cheap. Yeah. Payless, yeah. Payless. 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 Yeah. Right. But it's from Payless shoe yeah. store. And then all these people came and they started blogging about it and like, mm -hmm. oh my God, this is so cute. This is amazing. But it's all just cheap. Yeah. Real. They bought, it was like 500 to $700 uh, shoes and they just only used Payless shoes and had people review them afterwards. The influencers. They're yeah. like, by the way. Well, it really goes to show you how important marketing is. If you just brand, yeah, <laughs> like, that's all it is. Yeah. The you, you, have, you have no idea. Yeah, like I, like this shirt. Oh my god! How much do you think this? Again. How much do you think this shirt? Very nice. Very. Guess how much? Guess how much? Guess how much? I'm guessing this yeah. shirt right here. I can yeah. tell based off the material alone. Seven, three hundred dollars. How do you think it is? I haven't felt it. Give it a little touch, man. Well, you can feel. You can feel it if you want oh, to. Go ahead. It was like old Lulu. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, sixty. Sixty dollars? Yeah. No, nah, it's Tom Ford. Mm. Oh, is it? Yeah, really. I didn't know you were expensive clothes. No, nah, it's free. free. It's free. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not spending the money. Are you sponsored money. by Tom? No. Oh my yeah. gosh, no. That would be amazing. No. Yeah. J Jason and Brett Oppenheim, give me their clothing, and really? they wear. Uh, they they had the brokerage yeah, that he used. The Oppenheim group. Okay, okay. Yeah. So they buy some of the nicest stuff. Yeah. But you know, over time it'll shrink. Yeah. So when it shrinks, it no longer fits them, but it fits me perfectly. So I get all their hand-me-downs. Yeah. yeah. Must be. Nice. So I have a whole wardrobe of almost exclusively Tom Ford and Dior. Well, I buy yeah. brand new tank tops. I'll just like let the record show. How yeah. many times do you wear them before you toss them? Um, honestly, I don't know. You said that your wife, Layla, has very expensive taste. Does this ever bother you? If she was yeah. like, Alex, I want to buy a $50,000 purse. You'd be like, Not for oh. Alex, it's pennies. It's like, it's you like. You wouldn't oh. care. No, she does that. <laughs> like, no, she does, she does whatever she wants. But not a single part of you. I also, she earns her own. Like, we do this together. But it's a joint thing, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. exactly. So. I mean, I spend money on different, like, yeah, I spend money on stuff. I mean, I spend money on like gym equipment. That's like what I like. That's like the one thing that I spend How money on. How much more new equipment? Like they're not coming out with new machines every month, right? I mean, they do come up with new machines. They do? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, every it's, month? is like It's like a fashion is show. Is it inside like, your apartment? No, I'm, so we just bought the uh, the old UFC headquarters. Yeah. yeah huh? And so there's a there's a huge, huge chunk of space. Oh. Um, oh, so right. So we're, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're making a, a massive gym there. Mm -hmm. So that'll probably cost like, I don't know, 450 grand all in. But like, so it's like yeah. how many purses could she have? Probably a lot, you right. know? And That's so, fair. but like, I just buy, you know, my stuff's a little chunkier than hers is, but like, like Layla, Layla wanted to have nice things her whole life. And so we have the ability to do that. 
So why should I, like, what do I gain by depriving her of that? It's not like it puts us in any kind of different financial situation than we are now. Like if, 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 if her spending in any way materially affected our goals, she wouldn't do it. Like she's only done that when it basically doesn't affect us in any real way. And so like, why would I, like, why would I stop her from doing that? Like, why, why have the money to begin but with? But have you ever thought of the reason why she wants the expensive things and why she wants to... And I don't think she knows the answer either. Who knows? Like, we, yeah. like when people ask why, we just guess an answer. And we answer with things that we've answered in the past that people have yeah. given us approval for. So it's like, why are you so motivated, Alex? I could be like, my father never gave me enough approval. Or I could say my mother didn't pay enough attention to me. Or I could say I had a teacher who uh, encouraged me early on. Or I spoke once in class and I did a good job and I really wanted to do more of that. Like, I could make up a hundred different reasons. But all we know is that I do these things. And I think just erasing the why and the because, um, it just makes the life a lot easier because you don't have to, you don't have to deal with it. So it's like my, my, the two things that I've been focused a lot on uh, is like elimination of should, which I think I talked a lot about on one of the, the, the first podcasts that we did together. And I'd say like my focus right now is kind of elimination of why and because, because we don't know. You have no idea. Like, I don't know. Like we're like, I think he was, when, it's like when someone tries to guess your intention, it's like, you don't know. I don't know why I said that. And the real reason, I don't know why I said that. We just know that I said it and just focus on that. And that's just been easier in terms of like communicating with other people, managing relationships, even persuasion. It's like trying to try to be like, you did this because you don't know, just stick to what you can observe. And that's just made my life a lot easier. It appears like it's a part of human nature to come up with all of these extra sure. details, problems, sure. justifications, et cetera, <clears throat> explanations for certain things. Why is it in our nature to continually do this and complicate things when you, when you explain things, it's just so simple. I have no idea. I know that we do it. I don't know why. <laughs> that is so unfair. That is, I mean, it's a perfect answer. <laughs> why is it unfair? No, it's a, it's a great unfair. answer. No, it's, it's a great un, answer. That's so it's a great. It's like, I can make something up if you want, but like, it'll just be made up. Yeah. And, and to be fair, most people will just make up quite, you know, answers to questions of like, why? Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's, it's a hard balance for me because sometimes I'll, I'll get on podcasts and like the more strict I have and kind of to a certain degree, like what mood I'm in, mm -hmm. I might answer very much more strictly on that, but it can sometimes make for a more, you know, boring uh, podcast experience because people are like, fine. So we don't know anything. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting for me to, for you to go from like Layla wants and has all these nice things to you where you're just like, I'm just going to get down to the basics. Why do I want this? Do I really need it? No. It seems like Layla's very much an opposite in that. She'll just say, I want it. I don't need to think about why I want it, yeah. what this means. I just want it. I'm not going to put any more effort into that. There was a boat, that a uh, big yacht that had a name on it that I really liked. And it was, uh, don't analyze your pleasures. And uh, I just, I just like, she knows that she likes it. Mm. And I like that she likes it. And like, what, what is wrong with that? Like the only reason that someone would have any objection to that is simply because of the price tag associated with it. If she liked buying $1 clothes, no one would have any issue with it. Mm -hmm. It's just because it's expensive, but that's based on their understanding of expensive, not necessarily my context. And even if it was, even if I had made the exact same amount of money as whoever would be judging me for or judging Layla for, for buying clothing like that, why do you care how I spend my money? Yeah. Spend yours your way. Because basically them, you know, expressing that is expressing their preference that I would live, they, they would prefer that I live the way they live their lives. Sure, but like, why don't you just keep living your life the way you prefer, and I'll keep living my life the way I prefer. I don't prefer that you live your life a different live, live your life a different <laughs> live way. your wife. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. If there's like, like, that's my like, no should elimination of should elimination of wine because like, 
That's that's my that would be my you know presidential campaign. No shoulds, no whys, and no becauses. Do you think if you were president that you could do a better job or you could do a great job? No, I think I would do a horrible. Job. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> I heard this question. I heard this yeah. question online, and everyone's like saying, "Oh, you should ask people this question to see what they say." I don't know. I don't. I have no. I have no aspirations or desires. Mm. Um, I have. Um, actually, had a conversation this morning about that. Uh, Someone's like, "Man, if you like could talk about politics, you'd go so much wider." I don't have interest. Like I've never been interested in politics. Like I, I don't follow the news. I like again. The only thing that I consume is something as it relates to how we make money and how we run our businesses. That is the only thing that I like. I'll consume anything tangentially to that, and that's it. Like if I was in healthcare, I'd probably be looking more about like what you know. If I was like getting into like HRT, like hormone replacement therapy, if as a, as an industry, if I want to get into, then I'd be looking at legislation that's pending that might make some of our, you know, reclassify some of the drugs that we might be selling or something like that. Like I would be, that would be something I'd be interested in, but it wasn't because of the politics. I would just be interested because of the economics. So one, I, I don't have interest. Second is that I'm not very knowledgeable about it. And those kind of go hand in hand. But like, if I were to be, if someone to ask me a political question, I don't have any like skill have, and interest. Yeah, I have, I have no knowledge on that. Mm -hmm. And, and if I made a point, uh, people probably have an excellent counterpoint and they'd be like, what do you think about that? I'd be like, you're probably right. I, I don't spend time on this. Like, so I, I feel like I would be making an ignorant uh, I'd be giving ignorant advice. Mm -hmm. And if I were to do anything, it would just be like from first principles. And I'm sure there's many things that get in the way of that from like a legislative perspective and whatnot. And so I focus on the things that I am good at and that I enjoy. Is there anything you're unhappy about? I would say I have this, the same, the same complaints that uh, any entrepreneur would, which is like, I always want things to happen faster. Um, but like, I also realize that and, and try to adjust my expectations appropriately and talk to Solomon and be like, well, what did you expect? If I were to give me advice, I'd be like, you're doing, you yeah. know, you're doing fine. And you're, it's taking, it's actually happening faster than you originally thought it was going to happen. So like, are you really just readjusting your expectations so that you can be dissatisfied? Well, that sounds silly. Um, but, uh, no, I'm not, I'm like, honestly, I'm, I like my life. It's weird. To, I mean, like it's, yeah. it's odd nowadays to just be like, I like my life. Like I, I, I've spent a lot of effort to create an environment, uh, with people that I enjoy doing things that I enjoy. Uh, are there things day to day that come up that are stressors? Of course. Like that's, you know, any business, anything you do has overhead, but, um, I, I like what I do every day and, um, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at it and that brings me a lot of enjoyment. When you wake up, you'd say the off the rip emotion that you feel is tired. <laughs> How and much sleep like, do you get? Oh, I mean, I, 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 if I get eight, I can like cure cancer. So like, I'm, you know, I try to like, I got two, I got two eight hour sleeps in a row, uh, this last week. And I was like, I could literally repaint the Mona Lisa right now. Like I felt so good. What occupies that time that would inhibit you to get eight hours? Nothing inhibits me from getting eight hours. I just wake up earlier. That's more, that's like more often what happened. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I haven't put an alarm on, yeah, I haven't put an alarm on in How do you do that? Forever. Upon first wake up, do you get up or do you sometimes think? No, oh, I try. If I can, if I can go back to sleep, I will. But I, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to do, and so it's like I get energy. excited. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'll be physically tired, but like I'm excited mentally. Like my brain will turn on, and I'm like, ooh, there's all these things I want to do. I mean, there was a time when I, um, I had uh, one of those rings that like did your sleep stuff. Or a ring. And I got, I got more annoyed about the the ring. Why? Then, because I, because in this, in this, this maybe an indication of how much I've changed over time. Yeah. Um, I was 22 the last time I did that, so it was like 12 <laughs> years ago. Um, but I got, I got so competitive with myself, uh, to try and like beat my last night's PR that I would like stress about trying to like, I would like not move so that I, it wouldn't like wake the ring up to think that I was sleeping. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I was like, I'm sleeping worse now that I have this ring on. So I was like, Fuck, you know, and, um, it, if anything, I'd wake up the next day and it would give me a reason why like the day would be like, it would tell me if I was going to have a good or bad day. And I was like, well, that's silly. 
um, because I've had plenty of days that have been very little sleep and yeah. been great days, and I've had days you know where what? I slept great. Because yeah, I have I the aura ring, and I use it a lot, yeah. and I do say that when I see in the morning that says, like, you did not get a good night of rest. Yeah. Be careful today. Yeah, yeah. It does kind of put me in a mood where I'm <laughs> like, oh, crap. Yeah, yeah, right. it's telling me I got to be careful. I wouldn't have even thought about that yeah. had it not been now planted in my mind that yeah. maybe I'm going to be a little slower today. Well, that's like the superstition stuff that I've <laughs> yeah. talked about, where it's like... Um, Dr. Cashy, a good buddy of mine, uh, he says he defines a scam as something that if you remove it, uh, your function gets worse. And so it's like, basically we create these crutches. So it's like, oh man, if I don't have my green juice in the morning, like I feel, if I feel terrible. But then after a while, you start to be able to only take the green juice just to feel normal. Well, then if I take the green juice away, then I feel bad. Well, then that's a scam. Like that doesn't, it doesn't actually do anything. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't work. And so I, I just, I'm, I'm super cautious. And to like, to your point about like creating the very earlier, it's like, I, I just really try not to be superstitious about anything because I want I want to have as many of the controllables under my control as I can. Um, and if I, like, I love the idea of competing against somebody who has a million crutches. It's like you just knock one of them out and they're, they're screwed. Like, like if my competitor, like, oh, if I, if I don't have eight hours of sleep, I'm a bear. It's like, well, can't wait for you to have one bad night's sleep and then I'll just win that day because I don't mind having a short night's sleep and still working. Like, I work fine. So, anyways, all that to say, um, sometimes I sleep shorter and sometimes I sleep longer. I sleep as long as I can. With Layla. I know we kind of like alluded to this in like previous conversations. A lot about Layla. It's <laughs> always about Layla. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Man, she's, you got an interest here? Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah, interesting. Okay. You guys live, I'm sure, incredibly challenging, incredibly busy lives. And maintaining a relationship, I know we've talked about this before, but maintaining a relationship in that environment can be incredibly challenging. And you said last time that you have an algorithm, like you have logic that determines the success of your relationship with Layla. And if something isn't fitting, then you need to change the inputs. Sure. I'm wondering, not when is the last time this has happened? Because I'm not going to ask that question. Last okay. night, Jack. Yeah, but that's like, the answer. Like, right before I got here. <laughs> like Twice. Has it? And then once, and then once again, right? After. <laughs> has it continued to serve you? to see it as an algorithm. Cause I like to think that love is this thing that it's more of like a non-describable, non-descript thing that kind of just like occurs between two people. And it's yeah. not so like algorithmic and equational. You know what I mean? Well, I think just for the audience sake, it's not like I have this uh, Excel sheet at home of like, okay, three hugs equals, you know, like a, a, a kiss or, you know what I mean? I don't have one like Chanel bag. Yeah. One, <laughs> one Chanel, Chanel bag, bag equals two good days, yeah. you know, whatever, you know? Um, well, I would say this, which is that if you feel like it is that ephemeral thing that's so hard to capture and so hard to describe, like, I'd be like, good luck finding it. And honestly, I think the big difficulty with uh, love and marriages in general is that everything's N equals one. So even like, like my relationship with Layla is unique in that I am one of one and she's one of one and together, like, like I've seen, and you probably have too, I've seen like 60 year marriages, you know, people are 90 in their nineties, very different dynamics with all of them. And like you, ha you guys have unique partnership for this podcast, like, and everybody else has unique dynamics for their partnership. And we know what has worked for them. I share what has worked for me. If some of those things help other people, awesome. If they don't, then ignore them. You know, um, both of us tend to be very uh, agreement oriented, meaning neither of us like to be controlled. Uh, both of us have a lot of uh, agency. Like we like to make our own decisions and kind of operate freely. And so like, how do you, how do you get two people together that are really strongly independent? Um, we make agreements 
And like, these are like, I agree to, I agree to these things. You agree to these things. And like, as long as that works for us, then we don't change the agreement. It's worked great. And if we, if something comes up, then it's like, Hey, let's revisit this. And if it makes sense, then we, we revisit it. And that has worked really well because we have exceedingly clear expectations of one another uh, in terms of like what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And, and that has worked really well. And there's always resolve between these disagreements. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, pretty quickly, usually. Yeah. We don't argue much. Do you have some other like silver lining that kind of, not silver lining, but like other thing that arbitrates these disagreements between you and her? Maybe some fundamental agreements that you made off, you know, right in the beginning that you can then use as rules to decide current disagreements. Well, I think fundamentally, Layla and I also both believe that love is conditional, not unconditional. And so even the idea of marriage for us has been based on agreements, which is like, if there were a time in the future where Layla no longer wanted to do the things that I want to do, then we're not, I would not hold her to her commitment to be with me because it was contingent on that we want these same things. And so it's like similar mission, similar values, similar interests. Like if you, if you want to go to the same place and gather the same way values and you know, what you spend your time on in between interests is aligned, then you'll probably be okay. And I think the problem is that a lot of people will, this is my, you know, one man's two cents is a lot of people look for, are, are, are actively looking for hookups and then thinking hookups will turn into life partners and wives and spouses. But if you were to look for a hookup, you would look for a very different thing than you would for a spouse. And so expecting one to become the other, I don't know if that's the best, the best frame. This has worked for us because we are that way. Now there are, there are people that I know who have amazing relationships where one is completely subservient to the other mm. and that works for them. I really enjoy our relationship because I get tremendous utility from Layla. Like she, she serves me in a lot of ways, um, more than I would say most men get from their spouses, at least businessmen, you know what I mean? Who are married. Like it's very, it's not common at all for a wife to be even close to Layla's level. I mean, sometimes they're like, oh yeah, she's like the secretary in the business. And sometimes they overtitle the person to make her, make her feel better or whatever. But like, that's, I would say more of the norm, if at all in the business, like Layla absolutely runs the business. She is CEO period. I'm like off to the side and I like think of good things every once in a while. But like she's the one who runs everything. And like only the people inside of our company can actually like appreciate that. And I will still always get the credit because I am who I am and I look the way I look and I talk the way I talk. But like, she's really the one that does it. And so I get a ton out of that. And that this is how it has worked for us. Like Layla in every other relationship in her life was always the dominant one. Like, because most guys will fold to Layla. She's incredibly strong willed. And like, it's, I mean, it's my belief, at least if you, if you enjoy a male female dynamic, you just need it. Like if you are a strong woman, you just need a more strong man. What sort of personal, uh, contentions do you have between the two of you? Because it seems like everything yeah. is really just business oriented. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we talk about business all day. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, I would say that the busier we are with business, the more we will try and carve out time to not be business. If things are more like normal pace, we don't really need to carve the time out. The sure. time kind of happens on its own. And so, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, clips and stuff where people say like, you have to have a date night once a week and you can't talk about business. And like people like just like throwing these rules out. I just hate all of that. Um, like if we feel like we need to like reconnect, cause it's like, we're a little bit too distant in terms of like, Hey, I feel like I haven't seen you in a week. Then like, let's go out to dinner. Let's, let's take some time and let's just hang out and, and catch up. I mean, sometimes the equal, like, I feel like I've been with you all day. Like I'm gonna get some space, go to the yeah. gym, hang out, you know, get some food with some guys and like, I'll be back. And so I think we just manage that. And I think, um, especially, if, especially in like the world of remote work. Um, I actually think that, uh, in my opinion, 
uh, people spend too much time together. I think I need. I think you, this is Esther Perel, but I think you need to create space to be missed. Like there's probably there's no time where like I'm more excited to see Layla than a time that I haven't seen her. Motivation is the equal opposite of deprivation. If I haven't seen her in a while, I'm deprived of Layla. I'm more motivated to see her. I've seen her a ton, then I'm probably less motivated to see her. So you think a lot of times <clears throat> in relationships, people could be spending too much time together? Absolutely. Nowadays, for sure, they live in the same house. They they literally spend all day together. Like I don't think that's I don't think that's yeah. at least normal from how we kind of. I came. think you need two experiences to come together, and then you could you have something to talk about because otherwise, if you're if you've had the same experiences all day for weeks, it's like what do you talk about? I was there. At a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Like, how was I your know, day? I, yeah. I don't know. I was there. Yeah. Like. Yeah, we have nothing else to say. So like, I think, so like, and when we, when we figured this out for our relationship, it was still like two or three years in. Um, we actively just like created a ton of space. We worked on opposite sides of the house. We didn't attend, I came off the meetings that she was on. And so like at the end of the day, I was like, oh, oh, you met with John today. How was that? And she's like, oh, this is what this happened. And I was like, oh, and you met with that vendor who's doing this thing. She's like, yeah, and this is what we negotiated. What do you think about this? And you know, like blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. and then I go through my calendar and like literally we still to this day do that. It's that at the end of the day, we go for a walk. 45 minutes, I take out my phone, she takes out her phone, we go through our calendars and we just literally download. Like, how was your day? How was my day? Like, what are, what are the what are the things that we're, you know, working on and moving forward? And that's how we kind of like re-sync up. Um, and then after that, we just, we're, we're kind of husband and wife for the, the rest of the day. What was the logic behind buying that UFC building? That's dope. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot of space. But oh, to yeah. go from someone who's kind of working from home yeah, remotely yeah. to getting yeah. a full-on office space yeah. that's, that's massive. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How many square feet was that? It was like 12,000 square feet, something? It's three floors of 12. It's 36. 36,000 square feet? Yeah, it's oh, 12, wow. 12, 12. Yeah. It's, it's part, of the, part of the grand plan. Part of the grand plan of, uh, of what, what, what I'm investing in. Um, so we're, we're investing heavily in media. Um, and so that's going to have a ton of studios uh, inside of it that we're, <laughs> we're actively building out right now. Uh, a ton of different sets for um, different types of content that we want to be putting out. Uh, with higher quality and higher frequency uh, in the future, and so that's that's what you know that's that's what I'm that's what I'm building towards. And so uh, having a place where all of my team could sync up and um, I could I could attract talent to come you know here to Vegas is is kind of what we were what we were shooting for. So yeah. what's the, what's the grand plan with with content? Are you trying to like yeah. take people under the Hormozy no. brand uh -huh. or? No, I actually, I'm actually going to do more, uh, me personally, okay. um, and Layla and just, we're, we're, it's more that we're going to, we're going to be facilitating more types of content rather than more talking heads. Um, because as much as like my quote brand has grown, um, that's actually still been the result of like a half day a week, um, or every other week of actual filming. And the rest of it is just the, the, the awesome team that we have that knows how to cut, distribute, repurpose, uh, content across different platforms. So, um, but I actually want to increase inputs um, into the machine, and uh, in order to do that, I, I thought it would make sense to to, have, to make this type of investment. Yeah, but thirty six thousand square feet. Yeah. Well, I want a massive big. gym. I want a massive gym. So that's like floor one, basically. A whole floor, twelve thousand square feet of yeah. gym. That makes no sense. Twelve thousand square feet. It's a big commercial gym. Well, half twelve thousand square feet. The bottom, the bottom floor half is parking. But there's no. But there's there's, so there's going to be a parking. commercial half. Of the, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but still yeah. six thousand square feet. Yeah. Of gym. Yeah. There's no way there's enough. Dude, there's machines. Oh, I, I barely can fit anything in there. How? I, I like equipment. I'm a, I'm a connoisseur. I, I have a, I'm an aficionado of gym equipment. But like, I feel like you could probably get 99% of the same result. Sure. With, with 2,000 square feet But this isn't, this isn't a utility question. This is all, this is all uh, what Alex wants. This is, this is my purses and my, and my Coco Chanel. 
like she could have a plastic bag and carry her shit, but like she wants a Chanel purse. Like I could just have one shoulder press, but there's three different brands that make different ones that I like for different reasons. All right. There is one question I have. Um, there's a space in that building, I think, yeah. where there's one of yeah. those like roll up things that goes into a space. Yeah. What are, what's your purpose with that? Well, that's room? just parking. So, so like that's, that's the, the bottom floor is half is yeah. uh, is is. I thought the there's half. but there's one where it's kind of like a bit of a it looks like a bit of a warehouse. Yeah, it's there's but, the roll up door. That's okay. the whole that's the bottom floor. Yeah, okay. there's the roll up, and then you've got all the parking, all right. and then I mean it has all the pillars. And and what would it take for the iced coffee hour to be able to you know get an office Post space up. in there? Got to take it up with Layla. Layla said that she would, she do would probably say she'd no. do it for free. That's what she said. <laughs> Layla definitely. Just she said, she said, just just like, don't Layla ask, just don't ask, her. don't ask. Her. Yeah, it's a, but she said as long we as actually you have a lease say it's okay. Right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, We've already yeah. prepared it. No, I'm I'm stoked about it. But to answer the question, um, like I want to, I want to. There's, I don't want to spoil anything. But we have a bunch of new shows that we're going to be putting out, uh, new types of content, um, new new characters that we're going to be bringing in uh, to the content. Just a lot, like a lot of really cool stuff. Like I was super inspired when I went out to uh, see Dave, Dave Ramsey and his whole setup. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? What was it like for meeting Dave Ramsey? It was great. Dave's. I mean, Dave was yeah. exactly the same. You know yeah. what I mean? As, as I expected him to be. I mean, my whole interview, if you I don't know if you saw it, was uh, was all about business. Yeah. Like I just want because like he does. He always talks about personal finances and savings. He kind of has his like his buzz his buzz things, and I wanted to like try and avoid those to get to like how how does Ramsey solutions work and kind of like what, what were some of the strategic decisions that he made that that led him to there um the thing that I find really interesting is that he has somehow managed to have an education and information business without being seen as a scam and I find like think about anybody else who sells a course coaching events and an app like that's that's like the prototypical every other coach whatever guru yeah. out there and somehow he managed to do that and build a $300 million a year uh, business from basically the same ingredients. And I was like, what? I wanted to really get close to like what made it different for Dave versus everybody else. And so I think I think there's two main things. This is my two cents. So Dave, if you ever see this, this is my thoughts. Um, one is that the promise that he was making was something that is absolutely believable and no one can fight, which is that if you spend less money, you will have more left over. It's very different than most other promises, which is our make money, which is mm -hmm. like if you you do this thing, then you make $2,000 a month or whatever it is. It's like, if you make 5,000 and you save a thousand, you have a thousand left over. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's just no one can fight you. Right. And I think that really protects him from a, from a promises perspective. Yeah. The other side is that he absolutely focuses on brand above everything and his reputation. And so like an indication of that is that he does the biggest slice of revenue that he has is media. Like everybody else just like right hooks the shit out of their audience at all times. And so like they couldn't even sell media places, media, media spots on their own if they wanted to, because they have like no goodwill in their audience, mm -hmm. but he still deposits so much more goodwill, provides so much more value at scale, um, that he's able to make, you know, 10 million a month just on, just on media alone. He shared that on the podcast. Yeah. So I don't mind sharing it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so there, those are, the, those are the two, the two big ones. And then the third kind of bonus takeaway that I had was, uh, they run a lot more events than I thought they did, which I thought was pretty interesting. They run an event every week. I was like, huh. I think that's, isn't that a newer thing I don't for know. Well, they, have a new, yeah. they have that venue, but they're doing one yeah, a week. So and I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then the second thing, you know, bonus B2, um, is was the amount of volume that he was putting in. And that was part of what inspired me uh, to basically do more. Was, you know, I figured that he would spend the majority of his time, you know, running Ramsey Solutions and then make, you know, do his show and then and, and whatnot. But when you look at actual hours, he spends like 20 hours a week 
making content. And I also found that with PBD, he also did 20 hours a week. Um, and some of these other brands that, that, you know, produce a lot of content. And when I look at my hours, significantly less than that, we spend way more on the portfolio side. And so, uh, the building was somewhat of a commitment and investment towards building towards that. I think what I'm getting from this is that yeah. you were inspired by Dave Ramsey. Yeah. You bought this building and yeah. you can turn your version of yeah, business, yeah. your Dave Ramsey approach yeah. to what you're doing. Yeah. That'll be an element of it for sure. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wish you could tell us more about model. Like, yeah. I mean, you'll you know, see it, but okay. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a model success. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that we will do it a little bit differently because we're, you know, we're us. We talk about business. We have different subject matters and whatnot, but I think, um, I do, it's funny cause I've been a remote only business since, I mean, basically my, almost my entire career. And so, I mean, I had my in-person gyms, but even those I ran from home because you know, I, I didn't drive out to all the locations every day. And so, um, it's really cool having the in-person now and like seeing people at the office every day. And I think the amount that we can influence and teach and, and upskill the team in an in-person environment is so much faster. Uh, than in a remote environment. And the ability to influence culture at scale um, is so much faster in an in-person environment. So I'm actually just very excited for our speed of execution that we're probably going to be able to unlock. Yeah. When is the gym going to be complete? Probably a month. Well, I'll say it's stages. So yeah. the entire gym will be done probably in a month and it'll have the first wave of equipment. Um, I'll have equipment orders coming in for the next year after that. Wow. I really want to go there and work out. Oh, it'll be the best gym uh, in Vegas. And no and one will be able to go. <laughs> no one but, can go but but jack right, and it's not I. gonna be like it's not like a public gym i'm not gonna like but have it's a private gym it's yeah, like yeah. someone's uh, you know yeah it's my office i'm not like having hey, but, you know. but jack and i have a little bit of room for a couple of jack and i yeah. could go right i mean we get an invite I, you just take it up with layla i'm sure she'll have, she'll be able to write us yes. some terms for you yeah. she, she for sure says yes <laughs> are you gonna put a ping pong table in there we already have one got it we game we ball are you living from the office? I feel like I wouldn't leave. Like for you to be that efficient, I would live there. Um, not as much as you'd think, actually. Really? Um, well, we're still, to be fair, we're still like building out some of the stuff and some stuff's like half done. And so it's be easier for me to do some things at home. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to be really particular about was uh, we wanted to create an incredibly rewarding environment that would encourage people to come, you know, as often as possible, but not have like rules as in you don't have to show up at nine. You don't have to leave, you know, stay till five. Like you don't have to come certain days of the week because we've been a remote company. But the idea was that we want to create an environment that people wouldn't want to stay home from. And so that's kind of what we're shooting for. Yeah. When I saw, well, Jack and I saw Mr. Beast, yeah. he turned one of his offices into a bedroom and it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it made me kind of think mm. if I were in that position, yeah. I would not mind living. If I were single, in, in I would office. absolutely live in the office. Yeah. If I were single, I would absolutely live in the bet, office. Yeah, but I bet, but it's big enough where you and Layla could have she, she's 3,000 square feet in this yeah, place. A ton, yeah. And you would never even know. Well, there's already a suite. Yeah. There's there's two suites that have full, actually, there's three suites that have bathrooms yeah. and full everything. Um, <clears throat> and the previous owner uh, was international, and so he would come and he would sleep here or sleep at the building, and then he would fly back. I think he was like uh, Asian. Um, and uh, yeah, like, no, she wouldn't go Layla, for it. Not, not even close. Like not really? a chance. Not a chance on on earth. Yeah. To me, that just seems like so much fun because like the gym is down there. You, you can, also just never leave. And I think I think there's like it's almost creating space to be missed from 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 work too. Sure. Like it's nice to have somewhere to go. And I will say, with the office thing, and Jason, you can back me up here. I do feel it's such a different vibe going home. Like home when you work from home all the time, it's like home and work are just 
basically yeah. all the time. But working somewhere separate from where you live, when you get back, it home feels a little bit more relaxing, which is kind of nice. Sure. Yeah. So you prefer at this point having an office? I yeah, I do. I'm super pro office right now. Really like it. That's something I've not had in a very long time. I used to go into the Oppenheim group every, yeah. almost every day, pretty yeah. much. I'd be there even when I was mostly doing YouTube full time. I'd still go into the office <laughs> just because I liked it. I, yeah. I enjoyed just getting out of the house, yeah. going somewhere. It's exactly Seeing other that. people work. It's literally that. Got it's literally me in the that. zone of working because yeah. it's like, oh, everyone else is here. I put on my headphones and it's get exactly stuff done. that. I felt motivated. It's exactly that. And I know I'll work out harder when the team's there around me. Like I'm, I was like, yeah. I now I'm going to be able to like be able to record content while I'm working out, which I don't really do because at public gyms, it's weird. I already get yeah. enough people stopping me. It's like, they don't want to draw more attention. Um, but like, I'll be able to do that at the gym there and that'll be awesome. So like now I'm actually having another rewarding uh, like stimulus from working out. So it's like, I get to work out and then I also get to make content. So it's like, I have even more reason to work out. So it's just giving more, m more ways to win, which I like. I think it'd make a great series if for your content, what yeah. you would do, like, you know how Dave Ramsey has people on, Take note of this. You work out with somebody else in kind of like a podcast setting. So you mic them up and you do workouts. You're planning on doing Oh, yeah. This. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that would be very part cool. Of the, part of the plan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll announce the name because I think we have someone coming out soon, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's it's going to be called Between Sets. Between Sets. Fantastic name. Wow. I like that. Yeah. That's good. So Fantas is, did you is, come up with that? Yeah. You did. Yeah, because a lot of my life lessons actually happen between sets. And so it's like I'd be lifting with an older guy and be between sets and he'd be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. or I'd ask him a question. And he's like, yeah, this is kind of how I see it. And um, I always liked that environment too because like at least my, obviously my experience in the gym has been so overwhelmingly positive throughout my entire life. I've, I've had so many mentors, so many friends, so many life lessons learned in the gym um, between sets, you know, um, that I, I want to I wanna kind of like take the, take the audience along for that kind of same experience that I, I mean, I grew up. Basically, I mean, I've spent so much of my life in yeah. the gym, you know, literally like from teenage years in high school to literally what my career was for the first five years of my professional career after my job was literally being in the gym all day. So I have just so many positive experiences there. Um, and just also as a weird side note, this is from a creator perspective. Um, I think like of my top like 20 clips of all time, like six of them are me at the gym and I've only recorded at the gym twice ever. So it's just kind of interesting. I was like, it. I don't know if it's like a juxtaposition of like, Jack dude, but not talking about fitness stuff. Cause I'm not, I'm, I basically don't Jim, talk about, you know what the thing is, gym. gym content is doing really, really, really well right now. Okay, and so know. it's, it's yeah. a bit, it's on an uptrend. Yeah. But the other thing I've noticed is that when you're talking, yeah. people lose retention if they're, yeah. if you're just static, yeah. but if you're there doing something, it's yeah. like listening to you with subway surfers on the yeah. bottom, except you could incorporate you lifting weights and speaking. Yeah. There's just two things going on. I could, yeah. I could watch you lift the weight and I could listen at the same time. Yeah. So I think it's really dynamic. I think that's yeah. really important. I mean, you 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 uh, you would know. Um, but yeah, so we're we're super stoked about that. And also all my so all my tweets, the vast majority of them come to me while I'm working out. So it's like I'll be between sets and I'll just be firing yeah. off tweets. And that's and so this time I'll just be doing that to a camera. Yeah. You know what I mean? The one request I have: meet with Sam Selleck. Yeah. yeah. Do something with him as soon as possible. I would yeah. love if if he yeah. could be the first person you have on between there. sets. Well, we're gonna have oh one that's gosh. not him first. But <laughs> who's the first? Um. Well, Mike. So when Chris Williamson and I did okay, uh, cool. our podcast, like uh, we actually worked out together, and so oh, wow. uh, we had a really great exchange while we worked out, and so the team compressed that into the which will be the first episode of uh, Between Sets. But how yeah, no, is, I would, how long is that going to be? I don't, actually, you would know. How long is the episode? 13, 14 minutes. Yeah, so we're, not doing, we're not doing, uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we're going to, we'll experiment with it. 
I'm going to tell you what will be the best if you make this an hour-long workout and you include the entire thing. Yeah. I think The entire hour with, by the way, no edits. If you could do one straight shot, post it to YouTube, no edits. Yeah. Including like the you getting up, like you're kind of out of breath. Yeah. People are loving that. That's why Sam is doing so well. It's just no edits. Yeah. It's just real. Yeah. And that's what I think is lacking right now on YouTube. Yeah. No, I mean, we'll... We're down for anything. Yeah, we roll. We we roll with the punches. We're always whatever you know. Whatever serves the audience, we're we're happy to you know provided it works with our values. We're done. Oh. Done out. What's your hair care routine? Oh God, <laughs> nothing. Do you use shampoo? No. What? What do you mean you don't use? Sh- you don't, don't use shampoo? shampoo. Mm-hmm. Why? I think what it do just do? dries out your skin. Just, and my my uh my hair gets like fluff, super fluffy. So I just don't. So you just use water. What about conditioner? I don't. Ever? No shampoo ever. Right. Graham, I did I feel this like, for like eight months. Yeah, but I feel like it just, the hair just gets way down. No, and you greasy scrub. And I mean, like, you scrub. I mean, you still scrub your yeah, scalp. Yeah. You still like. The thing is, you strip oh, yourself yeah. of the natural oils when you do use shampoo. Yeah. This is the theory, and then you overproduce these oils, which then makes your hair really oily and creates dandruff. But if you get th- past like the lump of like no shampoo, yeah. then it ends up being healthier. I don't know. I mean, I've been doing this for years. I've been doing this for years, and it's also good because apparently, when you're like, like really scrubbing on your scalp, it facilitates hair growth. As well as what they say, you're stimulating the hair quality. Me, I guess you know. so. <laughs> what about your beard? Gosh. Do you use any product there? Um, actually, I started using basically like a basically it's like chapstick for your beard. But uh, it's just I, I, if I if I comb it out in the morning, it just stays a little straighter. Otherwise, it's just like it's like a mangled yeah. monster. And do you do that? Do you keep this look because it's for branding, or do you do it like for any other reason? It's so funny. I got. Um, there was a, there was like a, a mastermind or something like a group of people who were all, so a buddy of mine was there and he was like, somebody got up and was like, so this is Hermosi's strategy to blah, blah, blah. And I always find it funny when people break down my strategies when there wasn't one. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I was wearing, like, I, I just, I, I literally am wearing the outfit that I can wear in the most environments comfortably. So like I can wear this to the pool. I can wear this to the gym. I can wear this to this podcast. I can go out to dinner cause I just throw a flannel on top of it. I'm good to go. Um, and also we're in Vegas and so it's hot a lot. And so I wear like the lightest thing that I can wear. With. But that beard is more maintenance to keep it like that, I'm guessing, no. than it is to trim it? No. Trimming yeah. and shaving is way more than this. I literally just exist. And then I come in the morning five seconds while I'm on Zoom. Jason, five. <laughs> I'll be on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, but you have to trim it every now and then, right? No, I have somebody no. comes. You sculpt it If somebody and comes, it, yeah. why can't you just do it yourself? I let Scissors. them do it. I mean, I just sit down, he comes, I can take a call, I can do whatever I want, he's just cutting it while I'm there. How much is that? I don't know. People have been saying it could be a weak chin. A weak chin. <laughs> he's you, actually what hiding. What do you say to this? Yeah, he's yeah, hiding yeah. a yeah. no chin. Yeah, you're right. Is what they're saying. <laughs> you're right. That's it. That's what it is. It's all what's behind That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. It's weak chin. Okay, one last, I have a question about the Nicorette. Sure. Have you found, because I've heard... I actually heard this from Tucker Carlson on Theo Vaughn, which is amazing. If you guys haven't seen it, you guys should watch it after this episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That this Nicorette stuff, like nicotine in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's this stuff, all of the auxiliary things that happens when you ingest nicotine, usually, which is like the smoke that hurts your lungs or your gums and et cetera. But nicotine actually increases mental acuity. It like makes you more energetic. It, It motivates you, et cetera. Have you noticed the same thing with this Nicorette? I mean, I mean, I've been chewing Nicorette for like 14 years. Wait, really? I, I, I didn't know this. Why? Why do you start doing the that? The reason that he, well, I mean, I, uh, I like nicotine. 
in general. How did you get started on that? Um, I started chewing nicotine. You started chewing it or you started smoking? I started chewing nicotine. You and, went and straight to chewing. Mm-hmm. How do you get in? How do you decide one day I'm going to start chewing um, I liked dipping. And then I was like, well, dipping is bad for you. So then I just like started chewing nicotine, got the same benefits and been chewing it since. So what are the benefits that you get? It's a, I mean, it's a short, act, short acting stimulant. So it's a 30, 30 minute half life. So like you can chew this at five o'clock in the afternoon because you want to have like a boost from five to seven or something. Now 30 minutes. So it's like it'll half multiple times in that time period, but you can go to sleep fine. And so um, it's uh, one, it's an appetite suppressant. So if you are trying to like maintain calories or something like th- anything like that, like if you are hungry and you're like, ah, shoot, I'm going to, I got to take a call at 12 and I'm hungry now, but I got, I got to wait till one. It's like you can pop into credit and it's just very easy. Um, it is stimulant from an energy like perspective. Um, it also increases short-term memory, which is nice. Uh, and uh, I have a history of Alzheimer's in my family, and it uh, it's been shown to decrease the likelihood of of Alzheimer's because it promotes angiogenesis, which is just basically increasing blood flow in the brain. And then, what are the negatives of doing that? I haven't found any. I mean, it's yeah. I see I see nicotine a lot like caffeine, like it's just. It would just be like uh, if, if for some reason we magically found that coffee had like cancer causing stuff in it, but caffeine itself was fine. Yeah, It's like, okay, well, don't drink coffee. But you can still like drink Mountain Dew or you can just take caffeine yeah. pills. Sure. Exactly. Um, I, I see nicotine the same way. Um, and I also haven't found myself addicted to it. Like I forget to chew it. Um, I like it because I've, if you want to talk about like associating things from a behavior perspective, like I chew nicotine when I work. And so I have associated work with nicotine. And so it's like, if you want to get addicted to work, then put an addictive agent close to the thing that you actually want to do. But if I don't work, I forget to chew it. Why aren't smokers just chewing Nicorette gum all the time? Because smoking is addicting. It's the oral fixation. Smoking is addicting. I guess this is the first I've ever heard of someone just chewing the gum. Yeah, smoking is addicting. Separate, like... Nicotine in and of itself, and, you know, I'm not not even going to get in the science bros in the comments, but, like... I, I I have no draw. I forget to take it. When I say take, I mean chew it. I forget to chew it. So I, I have not found it to be addictive per the science people that I know. It on, in, into and of itself is not addictive. Um, it is the other things like chewing tobacco, like the act of dipping, things like that are addictive. Smoking is addictive. Vaping itself is like the I the thought action. those were addictive because of the nicotine, not because of the way they're consumed. Multiple things. You're saying you could have decaf coffee and it would satisfy your coffee addiction in the same way. It, essentially, assuming caffeine and nicotine are in. Well, it would be like me smoking a cigarette that doesn't have caffeine in that, if that was the it, analogy. Right. So I don't understand. Well, no, no, no. Like like you're saying, it's not necessarily the nicotine because you say you forget to take it. Yeah. But for the people that are addicted to smoking cigarettes, it's the oral fixation. I think the things are paired. I think it's the, the together. Got it. I think okay. it's both the things together. And also like, there's also many, because like also when do people smoke? And like, this is getting, like, I'll be very clear. This is beyond my, you know, my scope, but um people pair things that are positive with smoking. So it's like you go outside, you get some time, like you're working, you, you associate it with a break and then you light up. So it's like, there's all of the other things that get associated with together and that's what gets harder to, to quit. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. But I enjoy it. And if you, if you are, if you are want to someday start into uh, the nicotine world, uh, just, just don't take too much to like, it's like <laughs> try to get Layla addicted to it. Um, and no one gets addicted, so it doesn't really matter. But, um, but she, uh, she just she chewed too much. 
You know what I mean? Uh, it's in being it like, and she was like, yeah. And she was like, uh, this isn't for me. I was like, well, that's like drinking a whole bottle of vodka and, and saying like alcohol isn't for me. I was like, take a shot. See how you feel. Um, and I think the same thing with nicotine is like chew a half a milligram and just see how you feel and, uh, and go from there. I mean, I chew a ton, but I just like it. So whatever. I do believe that we probably have to put some sort of disclaimer yeah, here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The iced yeah. coffee hour people, you know, we're not knowledgeable on this subject. Yeah. Oh, neither. Intuitively, yeah. I would say don't do it. But you do have somebody that says it has positively affected their don't life. Don't do it. In the there same way that Tucker Carlson said that it has positively affected his life. Yeah. But I don't know. I've just heard bad things. That's what they taught me in school. And, so. and my official stance is don't do it. And it doesn't affect me what you do. So like, and what I do doesn't affect you. It's fine. I have accepted whatever risks yep. come with it. I enjoy it. And if I die five years younger, it's okay. All right. Fair enough. That's so fascinating. The, I mean, laugh, <laughs> the laugh at the end. Let me just double check, All right. check my notes real quick. Yeah, yeah. I hit everything in my notes. Yeah, well, you hit everything in Why do notes. you need to live a long time anyways? Why do you need to live a long time? Right. Well, because... Compared to a thousand years, assuming whether it's our, 85 or 75. Assuming this is our only life, yeah. our only opportunity at anything, right? Then wouldn't you want to extend it? Not necessarily. I think there's a difference between health span and work span and lifespan. Like some people like add years to their life, but they don't add life to their years. That's great. I like that a lot. That's a fantastic quote. You've tweeted that, I'm guessing? No. But I'm sure someone has said You should. That's that. a great tweet right there. Cool. Yeah. You make sure you have that recorded because that, right. that was a great one. I feel like that a one's going to be well. That, yeah. <laughs> that was a great look. You're like... <laughs> Do you have any other tricks like the Solomon Chats yeah. that you employ to be better off? Sure. I think um, I have a lot of frames on dealing with stress and um, missed expectations uh, because I think um, if you're in business or really just in life in general, like you're bound to have expectations that are not met. And so I've just have a number of, to your word, tricks um, that I've used. So like one of them is one that I call the frame of the veteran, which I got from Dr. Kashi, um, which is basically like something bad happens. And then you imagine that it happens a thousand times in a row after that. And then you think, okay, well, how would I feel on the thousandth time of this happening? And usually on the thousandth time, you would have already habituated to it and just be a part or a fact of life. And it's like, well, if that's how I can feel about it then, then I might as well feel about it now, that way now. And so I actually, the first time I ever used it, I had, um, I just bought this, this is going to sound so hokey. Um, I got this flannel shirt that I really liked. It was like a color scheme I thought was cool. And um, uh, the maid that I had shrunk it. And uh, I was like super annoyed. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, if everything that she ever did shrunk and every time I washed something, it shrunk, then I wouldn't be upset about it because it just would be how clothes work in the dryer. Or So if that's how it always was, then I wouldn't be upset about it. So if I can choose to not be upset about it, then, then I won't be upset about it now. And then it was over. And so it's like having like frameworks like that um, that have that have served me really well. Like the the reason I had the, the time one uh, when we just talked about like lifespan is like when my cat Bill died, I was super bummed because I really liked the cat and he died at like 18 months. So it was kind of like weird. It was like a freak, you know, odd death. Um, and I remember being sad about it. I was like, why am I sad? Like what, like, why am I sad? Um, and I was like, I feel like it's not fair that he lived such a short life. I was like, okay. So that means that I had an expectation that he would live longer than he did. I was like, what if cats only lived six months and I got, hang out with bill for 18 months well then i'd be like well shit i mean he lived a good long life i mean i got him three times longer than most people get their cats and so then all of a sudden like my status was like it shifted to like more of an appreciation for the time that i had with him and so it was it was simply just shifting my expectation mm -hmm. around what 
I, I expected or I demanded of the universe that my cat should live longer, but like, but why? And then um, I think about that within the context of like our lives, because, you know, if all humans live to 20, if we like at 34, I'm like, dude, I'm murdering it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like within the context of like all time, we all don't live long at all. And so if I got to live the way that I wanted to live for the extent of my life, it's only the expectation that I would deserve to or demand that I live longer and have that unmet, which is the thing that would cause me to be more upset. But if if I make life choices that cause me to live till 75 versus 85, like the lifespan is still the lifespan and the only thing I lose is the present. So all of these things, what I like about it is that it's just a change in perspective. It's not a change in what is, it's just a different framework of mind. How you see it. And that makes, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And that's, and that's, um, you know, like one of the other frames I use is, uh, it's just zooming all the way out, which is one of my favorites, which is just, uh, like you like, you have this instance that bothers you, whatever happened, right? I lose $15 million. I'm really upset about it. And then I just like zoom all the way out and I'm like, you know, far enough out, you can't even see the earth. And I just like remind myself of that. And then I'm like, okay, this just doesn't matter. <laughs> and then I zoom back in again. And so um, I usually play with time and space in terms of uh, trying to reframe uh, whatever the issue is that I'm upset about and think like, what, what, is, what is the expectation that I have and how is it unmet? And how can I shift that expectation? And what if the expectation were completely different? What if every time I drove, there was always 20 minutes of traffic? Would I still be upset? Probably not, because it would be just like how it always is. And so like using those things on a regular basis, I think have allowed me to make better decisions and be a little bit less emotional or reactive to bad news. Um, and I think if you compound that like small amount of space that you can create for yourself for an extended period of time, you can make better decisions. And so that's probably been to answer your question, like some of the tricks that um, have been really useful for me. I'm wondering because you spend a lot of your time working and it seems like you have this routine every single day is somewhat similar. Are you concerned that you're spending some period of time in your life that a lot of people would deem like the golden years doing the same thing over and over again, rather than like openness to experience and maybe trying traveling or trying and going this, doing this new hobby, like this ping pong thing, right? Doing a new thing and experiencing it. And then what if it's like 10 times better than whatever you had? What if you allocated a certain percentage of your time on a weekly basis to try out something new? Well, one, I wouldn't know if there was something that was better. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't bother me very much. Like there could be some, I'm sure there's something that could be hypothetically better, but I also would hedonistically adapt to it anyways and probably return right back to my baseline. I mean, there are people who live in Africa who never leave the tribe and are happier than we are. And so like, I don't think finding out more things is the, is like the path. Um, But uh, for me to somebody who would criticize my quote way of living, um, I do exactly what I want with as much, a highest percentage of my day as I humanly can with the people that I want to do it with. And so like, I would say, you know, cause I, I, I get uh, criticized from family still to a degree that I quote work too much, but that's because like their projection of what work means to them is just so negative. And if I said, all I do is play video games all day, then they would say that I'm not working enough. But what if I, my job was to play video games all day, then I'd be working too much. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's simply just their projections of how they would prefer I live my life. Their statement is, I would prefer you live your life the way I want you to live your life, to which I say no. So I live my life the way I want to live it. And that is enough. Cool. I love it. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> Thank you, man. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. That really was great. It. We're so happy it, to have you on. I want I like... I mean, if it's not too much to ask, mm-hmm. every year, you know, we, the recurring, we, the recurring guests. Yeah, yeah. We, because look at we have developments. <laughs> yeah. Like last time, it was shoulds. Now it's about because yeah, exactly. exactly. That that, that, that's a huge change. And I, I bet you next time there's going to be more exemptions. Probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to eliminate. I mean, I try to eliminate all labeling language, but that is a big. Then one. there's not even any yeah. is. Yeah. It just 
I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that actually is a big Alex part of it. Alex V2. Yeah, yeah, he is this. Well, how yeah. about this, guys? Subscribe so that that way, a year from today, we'll post another episode. If you want to be a part of it, just hit the like button and subscribe. That's it. And it's free to subscribe. That's all it's you free? have to do. It's free. What Completely. a deal. The cost yeah. is nothing. The cost is a fraction of a second for you to hit the button. For $100,000. I know. Exactly. You, you got, you got uh, actually, $150,000. Yeah. Wow. So if you guys appreciate $150,000 that we just gave you, <laughs> subscribe and hit the like button yeah. and the notification bell. And, like, don't say I never did nothing for it. Yeah. You know? And all of your information will be in the description. Oh, so cool. enjoy. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Until next time. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, guys. Cool. Okay, thumbnail or do you think it's... Uh, well, I think we're fine. Have you seen The Office? The show? Yeah. I got this haircut this morning before the first podcast. I thought I was looking fly. Graham said no, off the rip that I look like Dwight Schrute. Yeah. Off the rip that I look like him. But once you, once you see, you can't unsee it kind of thing. I think that's that's kind of how I describe it. Dwight Schrute-esque? Yeah. You look older than last do time I? I saw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any more wrinkles? Maybe it's yeah. a stress. Like smiling you, are, you might be stressed. Me? I don't know. This guy's stressing do me. Do I look older? Do I look... Maybe it's You're 36? 33. Are you really? Yeah. Okay. I, that is I thought, I thought you were older than I was. No. Okay, yeah. I'm older uh-uh. I am developing wrinkles. I actually really want to get Botox. Do it then. I can't imagine it's healthy for you. I cannot imagine that injecting your body with... Was it silicone? No, it's not silicone. It's silicone? What are you talking it's poison. about? It's not silicone. Oh, it's poison. I can't imagine yeah, it, injecting yourself yeah. with poison. It just okay. neutralizes the muscle. Yeah, it's, it's literally the most deadly thing on earth. Is it actually? You could kill all of humanity with this much of it. See, I just... I just... Actually? actually? Yeah, 100%. It's like the most deadly... Thing. Botulent is what it's called. Botulinum or something? And then Botox is... Is it botulism? No, it's like botulinum, botulinum, I think. Yeah. 